Welcome to the News Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today. We have the first time we have a full-strength pod for three weeks, I think. Really? Yeah. yeah. A break last week due to extreme bout of intoxication. Yep. Um, week before, before that, you had Conan the Destroyer. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, can we just stop for a second? Is it Lightning Linus Udofia or Linus Conan Udofia? Oh, I think it's uh, Lightning. So what's what? Conan? Is that like his real Conan's name? his real name. Yeah, yeah. He's really called Conan. Yeah, yeah. K O N A N. such a Just get rid of Linus. Get rid of Linus. I just go Conan. I can't take any credit for it. That would be. I, was, I wasn't there when it was given. <laughs> just fucking hell. You're just. You like, try how are you still Lightning it, Linus, not just Conan the Destroyer? <laughs> He doesn't yeah. use Conan, really, actually, thinking about it. Fuck you know. Like, like major marketing opportunity there. Uh, Martin Theobald. Yo. And Terry Chapandama. Servoir Fair. Radiant. Conscious Clear. So I'm case. about to have a monstrous year. <laughs> you're going to have a monster pod, given the um, mood you're in since you came into the, quote, studio, end quote. <laughs> the alleged studio. <laughs> it's a very hacked studio, isn't it? It's... <laughs> Yeah, I don't think we've ever... Apparently not a studio for much longer. We're looking for new premises. Yeah. Any real estate agents <laughs> that know any <laughs> any high-quality studios um, definitely need a 48-track mixer. 48. Um, <laughs> green room. We've got by without one, but... <laughs> yeah, green room. <laughs> the new, um, new ac- in access to Kelly's dealer. <laughs> All of the above. Just have club music drift in the background. Constant mixing. Where is Kala? He wasn't at the World Boxing Super Series. He Man. didn't even bother turning up. Mate, he probably thought he was in Manchester again. <laughs> he just sat in the <laughs> arena on his own. It's funny. And I didn't even realise he was, he was on there's his a, own. There's a guy I worked with who went, oh, look, you're into boxing. I was like, you don't know me then. But <laughs> <laughs> like, you're into boxing. Look, watch this. This is, uh, this is uh, a video of one of the blokes at the press conference off his nut. I was like... That's bound to be Kala. And look, I clicked on this link. It's, it's loading up. Sure as eggs is eggs. It was kind of chewing his lips. <laughs> but he must have... Even if you haven't seen the video, you know what that yeah. video is. <laughs> yeah. Shocker, because he's... He... Where does he get it from? Like, like he could do... <laughs> he should do recommendations, right? Best place in Riga to, to get shit. <laughs> I've been to Riga. I imagine it's probably not that difficult. Or just Nuremberg. <laughs> well, no, no, it's not difficult to get yeah, it. But, 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 but allegedly. <laughs> but it's the stuff that Kelly seems to get, which almost like you know, you want to test that purity. It's one hundred fifty percent pure. What do you mean one hundred fifty percent? So it's like this, this is some kind of new strain. It's, it's off the chain. <laughs> And as you join us live from New Age Boxing Headquarters, we have Terry doing live monitoring of the... So there's 1,100 people watching the, the Matchroom shit card at 
some warehouse that will hopefully burn down tonight. <laughs> he has such a fucking weird spectrum of value, <laughs> doesn't he? <laughs> this is the next gen card out of Manchester. Terry's uh, live streaming on his phone. I don't know why, because he just hopes the place is going to burn down. He's outraged by other things, but then he's happy for mass death. Or by I don't think there's that arson. many people there, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, people would give that one a swerve. Okay, so I think... Um, is all that shit we discussed earlier gone? No, no, I'm still on there. Okay, cool. So just to bring up context for everyone there, there's a slight, slight change of the setup that I had to do about a minute ago. Yeah, this is the 48-track recorder we've uh, we've just brought <laughs> yeah. in. Wheeled it through the door. That's how quick things happen. Yeah, Terry asked for world. it. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, if you, if you play this part of the podcast backwards, it actually says, we love Eddie Hearn, we love Frank Warren, we love all promoters. <laughs> on loop. Um, if you loop it. <laughs> right, so before we go on to... Let's let's do Groves Eubank first. That, I let's that, do the whole yeah the whole the whole kind of weekend. So uh, Groves Eubank, we were all there. Um, well, m- at least body, if not mind. Yeah. But, but <laughs> yeah. first, first and foremost, by the time the fight came up, thanks uh, to everybody that yeah, it was up. amazing. It was incredible. It really we, we, was. we we shut down a significant part of Waxy O'Connor's. Um, it, it's a sign of growth, I guess, and it was good to see. You know. There was us, obviously. There was the fight tour guys, the Beyond the Ropes guys, who just disregarded the policy of no corporate branding. Didn't give a shit, did they? Just <laughs> rocked up with the t-shirts. Go on, lads. Yeah, fair play. Um, although I might, I might touch on those guys later because yeah, I, I, I listened to their assessment and I disagree with a lot of what they said. <laughs> but thank you. Uh, but it was brilliant to see them all brilliant to see like yeah. so many and I won't try and list all the names to faces because there were loads of people that yeah you never stopped leave and, people out yeah and yeah. said hello to but it was so good and like hopefully people enjoyed it as a Saturday yeah. afternoon before the boxing let's just have a meet up because the key thing and the way to make it sustainable is to say listen the days of you rocking up to shows on your own and going, I don't really know anyone. And it doesn't feel the same because you haven't had a chance to really discuss the fight. We're trying to put an end to that. And, you know, it's part of a bigger picture, which says, in my head, just thinking out loud, bigger crowd, more mixture of people, backgrounds and stuff. Let, let's actually start to broaden what this is. And then, you know, let's have fun because... Let's be honest, right? That was a great way to go to a fight because you're there like, we can afford to sack off the, the boring parts of like the undercard and stuff because we were having a good time. Yeah. Yeah, it, is, it becomes something I think we've all enjoyed uh, the the element of this podcast, which is the fact that the community, is, it goes from an online community to an actual community. You know, like one of those traditional ones. <laughs> <laughs> and I know I said I wouldn't like say any names, but it was brilliant because I know when we did the live show, young lad Shane that I was chatting to at the bar afterwards, he was saying about going to events and when he doesn't have a mate who likes boxing to go to. And then Shane rocked up in the bar in Manchester. I was like, oh, brilliant. Like, yeah. he's now got people there that he can sit and just chat boxing with prior to the... It was, and he's honestly, a sound like, guy. He's really interesting, actually. Like, le- next time you see Shane... Um, you'll know Shane, smallish sort of guy, 
in a couple of years he'll be bald like me. It's okay. It's cool. <laughs> Sorry, Still like him, but 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 re- re- really has his head around. I mean, the business side of boxing. So if you do grab him, beer in a chat with Shane. I mean, it's not a waste of money. Good to spend some time with Riku as well. You know, Riku. I think what was his name? I want to say Andy. It was Andy. Whew. There was a lot of Andys there that night. There a lot of Andys. There's Andy Scott. <laughs> <coughs> oh. Scott's my new favourite person on Twitter. <laughs> because? That scorecard he came out because with. Because he admitted it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Top man. No, no, absolutely top man. Um, Sandy and his mate had a great chat regarding Groves Eubank. I hope they've now learned a very important lesson about boxing and it's this right you gotta know how to box as prince nas said you're either good at boxing or you're not you're either good at boxing or you're not i mean we we all missed that prince nasim stuff on the night because we were there but having watched it back like, <laughs> he's a fucking lo- have you seen it andy yeah parts of it i, I where he says you're I, good at boxing i can't work out whether i admire the honesty and respect the uh, what he's saying, or whether I think he's got that personal grudge with Eubank so, Senior going back to the airport day, they had a big fallout at an airport. Um, there's a lot of personal background between him and Senior going back years and years. And I don't know whether what he did on that commentary was to vent about that personal background on Junior or whether he was just actually speaking as or, he saw or, it. To be fair, he stuck it to who, who came to the ring in the Star Wars outfit. Uh, I know you're on about but I can't. Yeah, yeah. He stuck it to him as well. <laughs> he was like, I don't really like Star Wars. <laughs> but I I when he started saying about Junior should retire. He should give up. He should just stop. Yeah, <laughs> Which camera should... should I say it in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I kind of got what he meant. Because if Junior's talking of himself as a world-class superstar, he's not showing or displaying anything that says he's going to be a world-class superstar. So how can you keep up that facade when you're a level below? So therefore retire because you're not going to be what you talk yourself up to be. So there's an interesting thing, and I'll put this out to the audience and the Twitterverse. There was a video, and I don't know who recorded it, and Bellew's walking out the arena. Yeah. And he stops to talk to Naz. And Naz says, and you can hear it if you listen carefully, he goes, I had to let him have it. I really had to let him have it. And Bell, you start, because Bell, you obviously hasn't seen what's happening. It's the one where they're in the real belly of the arena, isn't yeah. it? With the lorry, the production yeah. and, lorries. And, 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 and remember, he pulls Bell, you to the side. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you had to let him, yeah, he's like, I, I really had to let him have it, brother. I had to let him have it. And I was like, I, I didn't know what it meant, but I have a feeling that <laughs> he really had to stick it to the U-Bank. Yeah, see, I think it was almost a by proxy of like, have a go at junior in lieu of the fact he couldn't have a go at senior. But, <laughs> Either way, but but what, why, why, why have a performance goal? allowed him to do that yes, anyway? So it, my question is: You compare Naz and Chris, right? Prince Nassim is light years ahead of Chris Eubank. Money made, impact, and all that sort of stuff. Chris is a darling of the British public, yeah. But boxing wise, you can't compare the two. Like Naz is, excuse me. Prince Nassim Hamid is light years ahead. He's made, he was making money then that Joshua's happy to make now. I think people often forget who Prince Nassim really is in the sport. The only man I know who got richer after he stopped boxing. Really? I'm not sure that's true. That is true. Uh, uh, what he, about um, 
Lean green grilling machine. Lean mean grilling machine, rather. He's a billionaire. I, I might be wrong on this, but he got the George Foreman grill. Yeah. Before his second comeback, or before his comeback. It was offered to Hulk Hogan in the 80s. It was. And Hogan said no. Because <clears throat> Hogan want, didn't right. Hogan want to go with something else, like, a, a, like percent, a blender. He gets a percentage of every sale, doesn't he? Not anymore. But he, he sold it. Look, he sold it for 135 million. But what we said is that was already <laughs> it, that was already in the pocket. You see what I mean? Naz so made you, money. Naz retired, made money. Go to Sheffield. I promise to God. What did he make money off of? Mate, look, go to Sheffield. And it's this, you can either go into that restaurant that Prince Nassim owns, right. or you go into that restaurant that Prince Nassim so owns. So he invested it. Or that restaurant that Prince Nassim's brother owns, which is probably Naz's money. That one that his sister, like, mate, like, and it's all the prime areas in Sheffield where they've got all this real estate. And part of it's boxing money, but part of it's Yemeni money of just, we want you involved in this because having your name attached to this is good for you. Like he got a lot of Middle Eastern money, not even from boxing, just from being Naz and come to Hajj. You know what I mean? You'll be a great draw. He's... <laughs> so, so he can say what the fuck he wants on ITV. He doesn't need the money. You, you think, right? Sky have got Froch on 150 grand retainer plus whatever he does per show. Johnny Nelson's on like, I think three grains of rice and an egg. <laughs> You know, I mean, the egg else. is too much. Yeah. <laughs> but essentially, <laughs> th th those guys need a sky check, so they'll do as they're told. Naz doesn't need anyone's money, so he just comes on, and you know. And let's to be fair, forget, I don't think Frotch does, but Frotch is one of the few that actually doesn't but, toe the company well, line either. Yeah, but, but I think that's just Frotch. Like, like, look, Frotch doesn't believe Jermaine Taylor landed a punch on him. <laughs> if you read his autobiography. But I think no, no. But just to summarize, what my view on Naz, I thought he was fair. Because he said, look, Groves was there to be taken. Junior didn't have the tools to take him. And this is the truest shit ever. You're either good at boxing or you're not. And a lot of small hall guys need to understand this. Having that board license and selling 72 tickets is one thing. That just means you can play at boxing. When you start to fight people who know what the hell they're doing in the ring... You need to be good. Otherwise, you're either going to get very badly hurt or very badly embarrassed. But um, what's the subtext to that? What, that you're either good at boxing or you're not? No, to what you're saying about small hall boxers. Well, because a lot of people believe that they're good at boxing because they won a fucking Haringey Box Cup in 2012, right? <laughs> so specific. Well, no, 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 but this is true. Am I No, Martin, am I wrong? Nope. People will come on, any media outlet, yeah, I won the Haringey Box Cup. They don't tell you what class it was. They don't tell you if it was a novice event or not. They don't tell you how many groups. Because normally you can, you can get 60 people wanting to do one weight class. So it's split. So you don't actually know who the best is. It's nice to win, but it just means that you've had to make weight and be good for three days of the whole year. What else did you win? What else did you go on to do? You know? Um, our... Caught up, caught up with Riku in the week and we're talking about this very thing. And I said, the reason I like Liam Cameron, apart from the fact that he's trained by Chris Smedley, a living legend, a fucking living legend, best trainer no one talks about. But if you look at Liam Cameron's record as an amateur, it's stellar. Box for his country. Won his ABA title against Dudley O'Shaughnessy. And if you want to know how good Dudley O'Shaughnessy was, just ask anybody who 
is of that same age, like 31 to 34. He was the golden boy. He should have been at the Olympics. So, I mean, Liam... He beat Tommy Langford, didn't he? Knocked him yeah. out in the amateurs. Yeah. So, when you beat someone like Dudley O'Shaughnessy, what you're saying is you're good. Liam Cameron is good. There are other guys, and you'll be fed stories about these guys. They might have boxed for Finchley and, you know, they claim the little Haringey medal. But you watch them in a York Hall fight, they're toilet. They can't throw a jab. And when they throw their jab, they kind of... It's like those old steam trains where it's like a piston. It has to drop, come back around and go again. And you're thinking, you don't know shit about boxing. And then I have to sit there and hear about this trainer in Northwest London and that trainer in West London, how they're fucking geniuses. And I'm like, they're not geniuses. They're frauds. Because they're not teaching people how to box. And that's what Naz means. Because, And I'm speaking to someone who knows Naz. Well, I knew him personally when I was at university. He's a real purist about the sport. Like, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. Like, like he'll say this about Ryan Rhodes. He would say, look, Ryan Rhodes would dominate in this era because no one can really box. But in the days that Ryan Rhodes boxed, there were a lot of guys that could box. And so he came unstuck a few times. So when I say that whole thing of you got, you're either good at boxing or you're not, it's just saying to people, just know if you can actually box or not. And if you can actually execute your skills at a high level. Uh, okay, let's talk fallout from the Groves Eubank fight. Uh, okay, so... Well, we Gro- realise Manchester doesn't let you in with trainers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Or back in, given you'd been in them in the afternoon. Yeah, that's true. And also, and also, as we later found out, that is no gauge for class of person. <laughs> and, Shocker. And, and none of you guys twigged that guy that was skipping through Waxy O'Connor's going, new age boxing pufters. No. And then Andy ends up chatting to the guy. And I remember this. And Andy's like, are you into boxing? And the guy was like, no, mate, but I like to critique it. <laughs> and he said it in that way that like, he tried to sound really educated and articulate. And it was with his little son. But son was was than I don't know where he was fucking from, but oh. he, he looked I mean, like he was spoiling for a fight. Sounding articulate though. and being a scouser. He, I've never seen a grown man skipping. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but I mean, the fallout is essentially last night, which is the Callum Smith fight. Um, no. I haven't seen it. I can't. I can't comment. But is he fighting Nikki Holdskins? Um, so Jurgen Bremer drops out Monday, Tuesday. Um, he's got a cold. He's got a cold, so he can't fight. Um, and yeah. so they they bring in this guy Nikki Holdskins, and Nikki. He's meant to be fighting on the undercard anyway against Dmitry Chudinov. Um, and so it turns out, at the start of the World Boxing Super Series, what I believe we were told, and I might be incorrect, is that there is a reserve fighter per weight category. So for the super middles, it was going to be Zach Parker, who boxed on the undercard of Eubank Groves. So I, as far as I was aware, there is a reserve fighter per weight category. And so when Bremer drops out, Zach Parker's fought the weekend before, but he's now 16 pounds over the super middleweight limit by Tuesday, I think. Um, And so he can't do it safely. So I believe him and his manager, Neil Marsh, were offered to take the fight against Callum Smith, but he couldn't get back down to the weight by the Saturday, so he couldn't take it. So they brought in this Nicky Holdskins, who's the reserve for that show. It turns out they do it. So you have somebody who's lined up in case some like one of the main event can't make it on that show. Reserve well, why wasn't the Chudinov the reserve? Well, I don't understand that. Dmitry Chudinov's a far more established super middleweight that we're aware of. 
I have a feeling Gallagher just said no. I think they probably offered Tudor not first, and Gallagher probably said, hell fucking no. That guy's fought at world level. No. <laughs> I want that guy there that's done a bit of box fit and a bit of kickboxing. <laughs> I want him. So this geezer, Nicky Holdskins, a former world champion kickboxer. Now, not to dis- uh, disregard anybody's kickboxing CVs, but every kickboxer I've ever spoken to who's done it to a good level is a world champion. <laughs> like, it's more broken up than boxing. If you think, like, every single kickboxer that I'm aware of who's become a boxer has been a world champion kickboxer. <laughs> Someone correct me if I'm wrong. But they, they all are. Like, Ronnie Clark, who was fighting last night on the Warren card, he was a world champion kickboxer. Congratulations, you're a world champion. Only- I haven't even had my first lesson yet. <laughs> That's the beauty of kickboxing. The, the only guy I can think of where it was reasonably authentic was Carl Thompson. So Carl Thompson boxed as Carl, but as a, as a kickboxer, he was, I think it was Adrian Thompson. And so he fought at a really high level as a kickboxer. Like, well, you know where you go, are uh, you a world champion? But he was having fights against other supposed greats. Right. <clears throat> Goes into boxing. And from, from there, we know what he did. We know what he did to Eubank. You know what I mean? Tough man. We know what he did to David Hay. Yeah. So, so, so sometimes it's authentic. I think Pele Reed is of that category. Is it Pele Reed who kicked Klitschko in the face? Well, Vitali and knocked him the fuck out. <laughs> Yeah, see, I, I don't know enough about kickboxing, but I mean, people say, well, George Groves was a kickboxer, Klitschko was a kickboxer. As a kid, As a kid like this geezer's a kickboxer into his adult years and took up boxing at mid 30s, I think it was, early 30s. And so Callum Smith fighting a guy who's 13 and 0, who's been boxing for three, four years, maybe, something like that. And he's gone to points with him. And like. <laughs> this guy's taken the fight at a few days' notice. Now, granted, he's already in fighting shape because he's going to be on the undercard anyway, but it's really hard. Somebody asked me earlier if I've seen the Callum Smith fight. I'm not going back to watch a Callum Smith fight. Fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) I've got better things to do with 50 minutes of my life than watch 12 rounds of Callum Smith. Unless Gallagher's singing Roll Over Beethoven, I don't want anything to do with it. (laughs) But yeah, so I can't can't talk about the Callum Smith fight because I haven't seen it. Um, but realistically, does anyone think, does anyone give him a chance against George Groves in a final? I, I, you know, my instincts are like, that final might not happen the way we're seeing it right now. I just, there's no logic behind it. You just get that spidey sense where you're thinking, fucking Ali trophy. Do you really need it? It's not like Groves is short of options if he decides to fight in the summer. And I know he's done his shoulder off that fight and they were meant to give us news this week and they haven't given us news this week. Um, So I don't quite understand what's going to go on with it. But I'm not even sure... I'm not even sure George Groves would need both shoulders to win that fight. (laughs) (laughs) I think he'd be all right with one. (laughs) uh, Um. The elephant in the room, of course. Where does Chris Eubank Jr. go from here? Or maybe it isn't an elephant. I mean, it's entirely up to you to decide. Uh, Shane asks, where does Chris Eubank Jr. go from here? Is Going back to uh, the Naz comment, is he good enough to continue boxing at the level he has been boxing at with the aspirations that he's had? Yes, or in I think that case, it, uh, what does so, he need to no, do? So I think it's worth noting we, we we didn't really discuss the fight as a contest. It wasn't a shutout, and I know people have wanted to portray it as a shutout, but 
it was more of a really damn good boxer teaching a lesser talented, lesser experienced fighter why it's important to work on your fundamentals. George did nothing other than, actually what was interesting, there were parallels the same night. So if you look at the Danny Garcia-Brandon Rios fight, there were so many parallels with that because all Garcia had to do against someone like Rios, who's quite basic, was concede ground when Rios wanted to engage and counter, just working off the counters, throwing two and three punch combinations and you knew you were going to score every time. And that's what George did. If you look at the first half of the fight, all George did is make sure he finished with a left-hand shot. Why? Because it meant Eubank couldn't counter with the right, which is what he likes to do. And Chris couldn't figure this out in his head. And because he doesn't listen to his corner, there was no input. But but also, just to touch on that corner, that's a pretty high-powered corner. Sanagar. You've got Chris Sanagar, <laughs> who, you know what? Because like, if you if you put it head to head with George's corner, I'd put Sanaga and Jimmy Tibbs in that same bracket of really wily seasoned veterans. I, yeah, I didn't understand what Sanaga was doing there because he was there as cutsman, and a he did a pretty terrible job as cutsman. Like you can't beat around the bush on that. Cause that cut by the time he'd walked out again, it just opened up and he was pouring down it. I just found it really odd to see it because the dynamic of the corner was really strange, which is what I guess we've come to expect from a Eubank corner anyway. But you had the cutsman come in and be front and centre in front of Eubank. You're but, used to seeing a cutsman like leaning through the ropes and just patching up where he can. So whether he was there to give advice so as well, I think I think I think an experienced cutman can because they've done it from every angle. I think I don't think Sanagar's really a cutsman. But then why'd you have him? Biggest fight of your career, and you've got someone who's not really a cutsman. Why do you have senior in the fucking? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like you, you know, once you've got senior the in there, life. You, you could just have Roger Rabbit. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> do you remember his first fight against Billy Joe? After the first round, we were like, "Fucking hell, Billy Joe's sort of like." I remember the second fight then. against Billy Joe. And, better. Oh, sorry. Well, cash. All right, fine. <laughs> so, but he stood there. Uh, junior <laughs> Eubank Senior stood there facing out towards Billy Joe's corner with his chest puffed out, not, not doing anything, but standing there and grandstanding. He's just having a good old pose. You're like, aren't you going to tell your son to do something? And he just went out there and he ended but up But see, Neon knew. There's no point me wasting my breath for the next minute because he won't fucking listen to me anyway. So I might as well just grandstand. Um, just a side note. Can a cuts man use like, super glue or anything like that? Are they allowed no. to use... The- no, it's Vaseline. Is that it? Vaseline and some adrenaline strips you're allowed. So the adrenaline takes the, the blood away from the site. What the Vaseline does is it seals it up. There's been a campaign to have super glue involved. But you know what British boxing's like. Well, mate, yeah, you want to do all the super glue malarkey. I use super glue to, you know, stick things together. But not skin, though, mate. Like, what you on about, mate? You know what I mean? Come on, mate, Yeah. So we ain't going to yeah, do none of that. Super glue is used Just bloody Vaseline, for. mate. You know what I mean, I still use Vaseline to moisturise, mate. Do you know what I mean? Been using it since the bloody war. Uh, how old is this, Cuts Man? Same age as the rest of them. <laughs> um, no, but it's true, though. Right. The thing about being a Cuts Man, and they don't... T- it takes years to be a really good Cuts Man. That's why every fight, your Cuts Man's a really old guy. Because they've got these little tricks. Like, they'll true. know. They'll know if you've got a cut on the eyebrow, they'll understand how it bleeds and so forth. Where it bleeds. Yes. Yeah. If you've got a cut over here, they'll know. They, they've seen so many different cuts that 
you want someone who's not going to be like, I haven't had one of these before, mate. That's the worst thing you can have in boxing. It's like, what's this all about? Which is why I don't understand why Sanagar was there. Like, again, the biggest fight of your career. And that cut, no doubt at all. It, I'm not saying it changed the shape of the fight or changed the result of the fight, but it changed, no doubt, how Eubank fought. Because he was saying, and whether it's true or not, that he couldn't see properly out of that eye. You can probably believe that because it was swollen up. It was bleeding into the eye. You can probably believe that. So no doubt it was detrimental to the outcome of the fight. You could have had a, an established... You could have paid the yeah. best cutsman in the world to come and do your corner for you that night. Yeah. And but, you didn't. But then you look at you look at Shane's corner. I love that. you got Shane, his assistant, I think it's Jason, and you got Jimmy Tibbs. So all that stuff people say about Shane not being good enough, Shane might just go, okay, maybe I'm not amazing. <laughs> Let me go and get a guy who is. <laughs> so you're, imagine you're sat there in a fight. You're sat there. And you know Jimmy Tibbs is going to see some secret shit that no one else can see. You're like, well, Shane, Shane, just make sure you tell George this, yeah? It just kicks back. And, and this is what, back to the point I said earlier, when I hear about all these new boxing gyms popping up and they're superstar trainers and he knows this guy who trained this heavyweight and all that bullshit, I look at someone like Jimmy Tibbs and I go, who's sat at the feet of Jimmy Tibbs listening to the stories? Nobody. Look... An example I'll use to illustrate my point is there's a man in Sheffield called Chris Smedley. Chris Smedley trains Liam Cameron, his I think his own kid, Nicky Smedley, as well, and a few others, right? So Chris is a pro trainer. He's okay, does his thing. What people don't realise is Chris Smedley's produced 30 national champions, or was it 30 national finalists, I never remember, in like 10 years. Like, I don't think people understand how hard it is to take kids from 11 years old Make them champions, turn them pro. That's that's the genius of training. So all these young upstarts, I respect some of them because I see what they're trying to do, but you can't learn to coach from a few YouTube clips of Mayweather. You can't learn to coach from, you know, watching interviews. It, it, it's about what works and what doesn't work. And I don't think guys like Chris Smedley get the attention and the respect they deserve, mainly because... They're not on Instagram doing stupid pad routines and talking shit about boxing like they're experts. But when we look at actually where they've come from, they've delivered nothing and produced nothing. But boxers are young and gullible. And if it's on Instagram, therefore it's quality, right? What can you do? And Eubank Jr. is probably at the vanguard of the Instagram bullshit. And I actually think Instagram's become Instagram, Twitter, Facebook have become this double-edged sword for boxing. It's increased the profile of boxing and it's, in the, it's, it's enabled boxers that do it right. Take Linus as an example. Take Umar Sadiq as an example. Um, who else do I think does it really well? David Hay does it well. I know we give him shit. But these are all guys that get it right because it's a marketing tool. When I see young boxers putting up videos of them doing pad drills and hitting the bag and then you see the videos of their fights and it's shit, then I'm like, well... Cause and effect, my friend. Cause and effect. So, be that as it may, um, uh, grow, uh, Eubank Jr. may well be an Instagram boxer, but where does he legitimately go from here? Can Is there ever going to be a time that he's going to be what he wants to be, which is a world champion? The first thing is to go back to middleweight. Like he sh If he can still make middleweight, which by all accounts he says he can, then he shouldn't be hanging around at super middleweight. But... Yeah. 
you go back down to middleweight, you're going to have Billy Joe Saunders. He'd be licking his lips after that performance. I don't even think you, I mean, I don't even think you have that. Because... No, but if we're talking about who, who he'd get a world title off of. I don't, do you know what? I think he just needs to go back to, I'll fight for the British or I'll fight for the Commonwealth. Just yeah. actually just swallow his pride and go, I'll fight. Is the British vacant or is it Tommy Langford? It's uh, Tommy Langford. Okay, either fight Tommy Langford or fight Killer Cam Liam Cameron. Right, one of the two, and then go from there. It feels like if you had a Premier League striker that you'd signed for like twenty million quid, and he wasn't having a good season, you might loan him out to the Championship, let him get his confidence up, hope that he bangs in twenty-five goals in a season, and then you bring him back and hope that he's the player you thought he might be. That's what you need to do with Eubank now. It seems is, although I suspect his self-confidence isn't dented in the slightest off the back of it. I suspect he probably still wakes up every day thinking that he won that fight anyway. Probably still thinks he won the Eubank fight. Uh, sorry, the uh, the Saunders fight as well. But it feels like he needs to go back and legitimize where he came from. <sighs> go, who's the European? I've no idea who the European does, champion does is, he, but British. He... he has to. He has to rebuild with his core fan base. But what what about his actual boxing skill, so to speak? Does he need to does he need to bring in new coaches well, or does he need to well, does he need to learn? He's not I, I don't know. I don't know what does he need to do differently. He's not far away. And I think this is the thing people don't realize. Eubank Jr. is not that far away. That's the reason why guys like Adam Booth are willing to work with him. Is it's not like this is a root and branch rebuilding of a boxer this is just let's get you on your jab let's actually <laughs> start a jab make a jab yeah so it's almost like less is more mate let's just get you boxing of very basic shots right just throw what a jab a right hand a couple of left hooks don't try doubling up that left hook either it's a risky punch and every time he kept trying to go hook body hook head groves was just hitting with a left hook between the shots so he has to go back to the drawing board i could be facetious and say he should train with chris smedley who I'm officially sponsored by now, <laughs> or Joe Gallagher, who I'm never going to be sponsored by. But I don't even think it's that. I genuinely, if if I was Eubank Jr., I'd swallow my pride, I'd sort my affairs out, and I'd ring Adam Booth and I'd go, I'm willing to listen now. And that's what I would do. But as much as we laugh about the idea of a Joe Gallagher, a Joe Gallagher wouldn't be a terrible idea for him on the basis that at least he would, if he listened to him, Assume for a second that we're going to say Eubank swallows his pride and listens to whoever he goes to next. At least Gallagher would get him doing the very, very basics correct, as in coming in with his hands up. He would, no doubt, Eubank's always going to have that 50% of him is going to be natural flair, natural talent, natural ability. If somebody could drill into him the basics of the other part of it, why not Gallagher? I mean, to, to be fair, anyone up north—that's that's their stock and trade. Yeah, I mean, it's he, just he, get those those basics correct. I say we laugh at Gallagher, but if nothing else, he can do that very yeah. well. Uh, Brian N asks if Groves beats Smith and goes on to win the World Boxing Super Series, um, can you see him moving up to the potential light heavyweight World Boxing Super Series? Well, from what I hear, the light heavyweight is a very likely um, division to have it, so it's probably going to be bantamweight lightweight light heavyweight from what i understand um does i think groves on the back of this just picks his fights and as terry said earlier whether he even participates in the final or not is probably up for debate whether he needs to is up for debate money wise it'll probably do him quite well to do so but 
he's almost in, although he's only 29, I think people forget that as well, that he's only 29 because yeah, he's been through so much. what, 28? 28. <laughs> yeah. um, I certainly got sold down that. But Groves, because of that journey that we've all been on with him, all of the ups and downs, you know, so many people back him now, whereas he was the villain a few years back. He deserves that right now, just to take almost the, um, take a, a bit of a carnival approach to the end of his career. Just take fights, whether or not there's titles involved, just take fights that will give you the money to retire by the age of 31, 32. We don't want to see him shop-worn at 35 in a ring. Whatever's going to... he accepting has, a Russian nationality. <laughs> yeah. To, to fight in deepest, darkest Siberia at 38 years old. I'm sure every boxing fan would back him, whether it's at light heavyweight or super middleweight, just to take maybe two fights a year for the next couple of years and just pick and choose. Doesn't need to be world titles involved. Something like a James DeGale fight would be perfect for it because it would have that casual's interest. It could be sold easily and it's not really that risky to his health or... You know, De Gale isn't doing any damage to anybody over the last few years, particularly. Um, you know, that would be a perfect swan song for him that would generate millions that he could go out on. Uh, yeah, you kind of you wish George the best, and you wish him the easiest path now into retirement. Wait, is there any fights that you would actually like to see him in as a fan rather than from a human perspective? I don't want to see him go to light heavyweight. If he's got to 29 and he can make it to super middleweight, then I don't see why he now should be going to light heavyweight, unless his body really is struggling to make you know, 168 pounds of super middle. I don't want to see him go up there because there's quite a lot of dangerous fights up at light heavyweight. Does anyone really need to see George go and take those? I wouldn't personally be that comfortable with it. Is it not an option for him to go on and try and unify the division? Possibly, but I mean... This is where the flaw of this World Boxing Super Series has come in. And, like, we've all praised it to the high heels. But I think it's only right that we criticise it as well. In that this kickboxer that came in against Callum Smith, he was only replacing Jürgen Bremer, a man who hadn't fought a super middleweight in however long, was brought in probably as a favour towards the Sourlands in some way. He was never one of the best eight super middleweights in the world. Not when they announced this tournament. And so... You've ended up with a guy who probably shouldn't have been in it, replaced by a guy who should never be in it by rights. And you've got three world champions. You've got Ramirez, you've got Benavidez. Uh, I can't remember the other Truax. one. Truax, sorry, yeah, of course. Um, sat at home kind of watching it. Therefore, it kind of highlights to me some of the deficiencies of this tournament. It's actually fairly weak. Um, so should George Groves come out of it and then go and start unifying. There's no money in it. There's no money in a Caleb Truax fight. There's no money in a Ramirez or a Benavidez fight particularly. That's what I say. It's almost like he should be in that carnival period of his career now, whereby he just takes money fights. Okay, let's move on to the Warren card then. Um, Zelfa Barrett versus Ronnie Clark. What can you tell me about that? I blame Martin for this, right? Go the back. fight happening? Go, go, go back to, I think it was, it might be in October, November time. And we praise Zelfa Barrett. <laughs> no, no. So Martin said, I'm tired of watching Zelfa Barrett get to 19 and 0 fighting nobody. I want him to step up. No, we praised him when he won the English title. It was a very good performance. Yeah, but, but before that though. And, and I was. Yeah, yeah. And I remember in my head, and I might have said it in the pod or not, but I remember thinking, <laughs> you don't want to go from, you don't want to go from darkness to light too quickly. And 
Martin was right in that he had to step up. I think the curve went from being flat to super steep because is it Ronnie or Robbie Clark? Ronnie Clark. Ronnie Clark, right? He got shafted in the Martin J. Ward. He did. Now, had he won that, which he deserved to do, we'd be looking at Ronnie Clark as a different type of fighter. So I think they they underestimated him. But if anyone had seen that Martin J. Ward fight, that was the night Eddie Hearn realized he fucked up his matchmaking. Because I think Ben Hall got smashed to pieces. John Wayne Hibbert lost. Uh, that was Scarpa versus O'Hara Davis, right? I think so. That was the uh, I think it was that night. Yeah. And that was when Hearn realized, uh, let me not step these guys up too quickly because Martin J. Ward got exposed Ben Hall got beaten into basically semi-retirement and that's no disrespect to him. I thought he was never ready for that fight. Warren's done the same thing and has underestimated Ronnie Clark. Um, Ronnie Clark was never going to go down in this fight and was always going to be good to go and that uppercut in the <laughs> sixth round. A lead hand uppercut. Wow. Just, I was impressed by regard from that massively yeah. impressed by the bollocks on the lab because he got launched like yeah and it, nobody would have seen that coming nope. because he hadn't really thrown that shot at all during the fight no. and then yeah it was it was Barrett that was throwing that shot quite, quite happily all the way through although to the body more than the chin but out of nowhere and, and like Barrett's quite unorthodox as well and you can see that he hasn't come from a traditional boxing background because he, you said he was an ex kickboxer, right? He's got Gary Clark. Um, Ronnie Clark. Yeah. He's got that kind of point fighting style where you move your feet a lot quicker than you would if you were boxing because it's a point fighting style in kickboxing and taekwondo and those sorts of arts. So it's more in and out, do your work, move. And I think Zalfa Barrett struggled with that because he couldn't seem to get his timing off. But if you're going to take a defeat, now's the time to take it, right? Low stakes, relatively low. You can come back from this. But, you know, how do you come back? Because it's not like Ronnie Clark was unbeaten. Our other guys have run over him in the past. So maybe we need to rebase our expectations of the young man and say, actually, you'll come good in another couple of years. There's nothing wrong with that. Like Ronnie Clark must be the worst opponent to be in with. You know, if you're a young lad like Zelfa Barrett, who's had it all his own way, make no mistake, he's never really had a challenge. When he won that English title, it was a very good performance, but it wasn't necessarily a challenge. And so Clark is horrible. Like, he doesn't give you a second to reset. He doesn't give you a second to go and rest. And that's what Barrett likes. He likes to work off that back foot and he'll go left, he'll go right. And then once he's... Because he puts his shots together really well, like Zelfa Barrett. It's not criticism of him. That he needs a jab. He hasn't got a jab on him. Where is that? I don't. I don't understand it. He's got so many tools. He's got those lovely hooks to the body. That uppercut to the body. He's over reliant upon. So he's clearly trying to slow down Clark by throwing that right uppercut into the body, which worked at times. It was low at times. It didn't work at other times. It's a nice shot, but he puts his combinations together really, really well. But when you've got someone like Clark that doesn't allow you the time, like he'll interrupt those combinations, or he'll just step back, and then those combinations are going nowhere. Clark then just steps in and he's awkward. He's, you know, he's not the nicest to watch, but fuck, I would love to keep watching Ronnie Clark. Yeah. And that Martin J. Ward fight is exactly the same. He's got that thing that Oval McKenzie had of 
if you're not ready for the fight, you're about to find out very quickly. But if you're prepared for the fight, you should be able to run over him. That's the kind of fight, and I'm sure Pat Barrett, his trainer, will be sat there talking to him saying, you could have won that fight on your jab. I think Ronnie Clark's... I'm not even sure he's got one based on last night. And that's the worrying thing. You can win most fights on a jab, especially someone like Ronnie Clark, who's not that experienced in the art of boxing, because all you're going to do, thud, 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 thud to the face. And it, the first couple you can take and go, it's nothing. But what happens is the power bar starts to drop eventually. <laughs> and, and then that's when you start to bring in the combinations. And we, it goes back to what we were discussing before. There's an art to boxing at the top level. And it's not necessarily let all the flashy combinations go. It's establish control, establish dominance, then let your hands go. And I think Zalfa will learn this in time. And I think he'll come back. I think he's he's a good kid. And he's in a division that's quite exciting. But right now, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I, look, I'll go back to the days of Jupp and Mitchell Smith. I wouldn't be surprised if he sent Zalfa Barrett to fight Burchelt or something random like that which Frank has been known to do. Although, I don't know if he does much business with the Mexicans anymore. Uh, Ali McKenzie asks, with Ronnie Clark's win last night, are we beginning to see that padded records for fighters is detrimental to their development? Are they learning anything from beating 15 or so journeymen? No comment. <laughs> Martin. <laughs> um, I, it's, a, it's a good question in the, in the, fact, in the sense that how... It doesn't seem to make... If you're not going to fight people of at least a certain calibre for those 15 fights, then what is that teaching you? You're meant to be getting different styles. As you go through those yeah. 15 fights, you're meant Makes to be sense. getting different styles that you're learning against. But we'll come on to it later on the Anthony Yard fight, for instance. Terry is now praising the Lord. Um, you know, his opponents haven't necessarily differed. And... Look, I'm, I'm not going to criticise Andy Yard on this because actually he was really, really good last night, but there are flaws to what he does. And I think those flaws will continue until he fights somebody that's going to put the pressure on him. And I think that's what we found with Zelfa Barrett last night is that there are flaws that we saw last night that we hadn't seen in his, his previous number of fights. You see, there's two different levels of fighters, right? There's off-TV fighters and there's on-TV fighters. So you've got your Hearns and your Warrens bringing through stables of fighters. You've got your off-TV fighters. So some of these off-TV fighters may be building up very padded resumes of 10 to 15 uh, wins against relatively poor opponents. They're there when they get to, say, between 10 and 15 and 0. They're looking for opportunities to get onto a TV card in the away corner. That's basically what they're doing. Is like at that point you'll take a punt with them. And if you've got a fighter who's 12, 13, 14 and 0, you're waiting for the phone call from Hearn, from Warren to say, Go on, we'll have him. And we'll put him in against one of our blue chip prospects, one of our Olympians or whatever. And then, you know, Sky can show you somebody, you know, an Olympian A versus small hall fighter with 13 wins. And it looks impressive when they bring up the, the stats across the screen, especially if the Olympian goes and stops this lad who's had. 13 and 0. So you're breeding up this entire small hall um, ecosystem, as Terry would call it, I guess, of people that are padding resumes with the hope of getting the big shot. There are others, don't get me wrong, that are taking more challenging fights in the small halls, but there are some that that's, that's clearly the aim for. Um, but the TV fighters, 
Don't forget Zelfa Barrett wasn't a TV fighter for 15 fights. He was doing it all on the small halls, on the Black Flash promo shows, his uncle Pat Barrett shows. Um, but I don't think it necessarily helps to go that far. There's a saying that there's 20 fights for learning and 20 fights for earning. But those learning fights have got to be different learning fights. They've got to be things that are are beneficial to you. And I just that's the art of matchmaking. That's the art of making sure that you've got the right people in the away corner. I'm not sure. It's a hard art to do, and I'm not sure people have really mastered it. Uh, it certainly feels like in certain situations it is entirely pointless uh, to have 15, you know, fights in your Walkovers. Yeah. Um, Daniel Dubois versus D.L. Jones. Um, North North Bank Bren asks, would Yard and Dubois have learned anything from last night's fights? Obviously, we'll come on to Yard later, but another walkover for Dubois? Yes and no. Yes and no, because as much as we're criticising people for taking these fights where we know they're going to win, and we knew Jabal was going to win that, D.L. Jones isn't particularly good, but D.L. Jones offered something that no other Dubois opponent has offered, and that was the ability to shut down the space and not let Dubois use that phenomenal natural size to his advantage and that natural power. D.L. Jones just walked in, and I said to, to my wife as we were watching it, it's like he's got his gloves glued to his ears. He would just crouch really low and walk, like almost bum rush him straight into the space every time so that Dubois didn't have the opportunity to just unload bombs onto him as he was coming in. He was in so quickly. It was a horrible fight to watch. Horrible. Um, But Dubois, I think, will have learned something from that last night. And I'm sure his corner probably weren't happy with the first two rounds um, because he wasn't able to create any space whatsoever. And Jones just kept rushing in, rushing in. And there was a lot of holding going on. At one point, Dubois smacks him around the back of the head on a break, which I think was just a sign of frustration. Um, but it it was testament to the fact that Dubois is a young man who's learning the sport and he didn't know how to deal with somebody whose game plan was solely to ruin the natural attributes that he had, not to let him use those massive arms, that massive power. And D.L. Jones, of course, it caught up with him eventually. Was it round four, I think, Terry? Um, three? Where it just, you know, there's only so many times you can you can make those rushes. And he was caught on the ropes. He got caught with an uppercut, huge uppercut. That I mean, his corner to me maybe could have stopped it. The ref could have stopped it 20 seconds before they did stop him taking a few more shots. But I just, I actually think that fight was okay. I don't have an issue with it because Dubois is so young. He's so inexperienced. Um, he's got all the natural attributes there'll be question marks now about the skill set to go with it. Uh, I saw something online about him being overrated. Um, Terry, what do you reckon? That David Wire, uh, David Wire, David Allen, I'm going by his Twitter name for a sec, said that he reckoned... That's it. That's what I'm referring he to. He reckoned Jabbar was, was, is the most overrated talent in the country. This isn't technically a question, so... I mean, it so, is for Martin. So I'm... I'm not Dave Allen's favourite podcaster. <laughs> Well, is that in this pres- presumably is he David Allen's favourite podcaster is probably himself given you'll be surprised <laughs> I love Martin Terry I, I, I can't lie to you mate I love Martin oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. love him I love him no I'm joking <laughs> look here's my take on Daniel Dubois yep. you go back you go back what a year and a half now and I'm saying that I think the kid's special 
but I'm saying the kid is special, right? I've also said I think he would beat Joshua if they fought today. And I gave the logic saying Joshua couldn't come out and spoil because he'd be the favorite. He'd have to come out and attack. And I think Dubois at his best when people come and attack him because then he can use clever counters and he can use movement. I kind of know Dave Jones. Um, he's kind of out of that sort of Sheppy, sitting-born rumble. Ray Askew in Victor. Yeah, so, 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 so it's all part of that sort of, that sort of crowd. Um, let's not forget, the guy was in the army for a few years as well. So I always say that toughens you up. So you're not likely to fall over at the first punch. Everyone's coming knowing that if they get hit with, by Dubois, they're going to fall over. So, so now you're getting that Let's spoil it. Let's make it horrible. And Daniel Dubois is 20 years old and he's having to learn how to overcome these challenges. He might be overrated by the Twitterati who are saying this guy would knock out Dave Allen. I understand where Dave's coming from, where Dave's like, show me some fucking respect. I fought Luis Ortiz and I was doing okay until he hit me with that uppercut. You know? So there's that level to it where you say, Dave Allen has been in far tougher and people are talking about Dubois being able to walk over Dave Allen. And Dave's like, come on, have some respect. And he's right. Daniel Dubois has to do it the right way. So Dave Jones, good fight. Do you look to put him in with Nathan Gorman next? Maybe. That'll be another good fight. And then at some point you start to look at Dave Allen as an option. And then that's reasonable. But to say he should fight Dave Allen next, disagree. To say he should fight Nathan Gorman next, disagree. I'd quite like him to learn his trade. I really want to see Daniel Dubois sharpen up a set of tools we can look at and go, that's a world-class tool set that he's got. And I don't think we're there yet. Uh, Tommy Roosh asks, can you please rank these heavyweights and comment why? Webb, Daniel Dubois, Joe Joyce... Gorman and let's put Dave Allen in there as well. He wasn't one of the options. No, he wasn't. <clears> but I, that's what I wanted to put in. Webb's the bottom for me. I'm, I'm going to stand by <laughs> his fight with Harry Miles at the O2. Going back to the Hay undercard, Harry Miles got robbed that night. Absolutely robbed. And that's the only time I've seen Nick Webb live, and he was poor. So I can't I can't rebase it until I've seen him again. I know he knocked somebody out on recent matchroom show but um he's got to be bottom for me for now um got Danny Dubois Joe Joyce and Nathan Gorman Gorman second bottom for me um he's again he's one that's treading water a little bit learning his his game but he's not he looked all right last night he's the best I've probably seen him to be fair not physically he's still you know when he sits in the corner at the end of a round he's got the rolls over himself um, it's not a great look nice. for, yeah. for a heavyweight boxer. He's got the Andy Ruiz going on. He could um, be weight, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, but let's see how that. It's not to say that that's uh, a terrible thing. You know, Tyson Fury's never been the six pack laden god. He's, you know, he's never in the best shape. So he'll, he'll tell you that he is still a god, though. <laughs> <laughs> not six pack laden. It's not to the detriment necessarily of how they can go over twelve rounds, but we haven't seen that with Gorman yet. Uh, who else we got? I put Dubois probably on a par with Gorman, to be fair. Um, Gorman or Joyce? No, I'd put Joyce at the top. The Ian Lewison fight makes him stand out out of that list to me as being the, the best prospect. 
prospect's probably the wrong word to use for Joyce, though, because he is an older man. He's over 30. That fight last week on the Haymaker card's a fucking joke. Um, they should not for a second fight have had him out against whoever that was, that Hungarian dude, um, or wherever he was from. Joe Joyce, I think he could be very good, but that's purely based off the Ian Lewison fight. Ian Lewison, though, was out of shape. He wasn't really there to really? fight. Really? Ian Lewison? <laughs> so it's difficult for me. Um, that's all I can base it on. But that Ian Lewison win is better than all the others have got between them. Um, where would Dave Allen sit on that list? Can I answer that next week after he's fought Lemroy Thomas again? Because right. I think this is a different... From what we see of him physically, it looks like a different Dave Allen. I'm hoping hoping he comes out with more intent, lets his hands go when he's got Lemroy on the ropes. We'll see. We'll see next week. Just finally on Dubois, uh, Senor Tasty asks... Uh, who, by the way, we met at, again, it came along to the Groves Eubank Shouts fight. out to Senor Tasty, and man. He, I, I bet he eats his vegetables, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> he was such good fun, like, there with his mates as he well. He wasn't there long enough, it's, though, it's, man. It's, like, we, we, needed, we needed that We needed more. We, more of Mick. Like, we, need, we actually need, like, a Senor Tasty hour, right, where he just sits <laughs> at a table... And we just ask him questions. Well, like a speed dating thing. Like we can each dip in and out for like three minutes no, each. No, no, no. Almost like question dip it, time. I went, to the right? wrong, I went to the wrong speed dating. When I... <laughs> no, no. Not, not even like <laughs> that. Just, just literally like question time. And time. say your taste, he just sits there. And you just ask him anything. <laughs> I want to speak to him at his al- as his alter ego. As Kaiser Tasty. Kaiser Tasty. Maybe yeah. half an hour of each. <laughs> See, Kaiser Tasty has a little bagel in his... Anyway, uh, I digress. Due to his age, is the criticism of Dubois and his opponents too hard? Yeah, it is for me. It is. But the problem is, this is where the overselling from Frank Warren comes into effect. That every time we, every time Warren talks about Dubois, he's talking about a a, a Ferrari that he's going to sell you. When you turn up to buy it, it's a Mini Metro. Um, no, but it's going to be a Ferrari. <laughs> but it will be a Ferrari in time if it you let it grow. It runs like a Ferrari. So look, it's... We've got to give him time. But the problem is when you've got this BT contract and you need to build this BT contract on uh, the provision that you've got these knockout artists, these beasts, which is fine because your world champions are Billy Joe Saunders and Terry Flanagan, who are the other end of that spectrum. Of They're not people that are knocking you out. They're not exciting, particularly to the average fan who's tuned in on a Saturday night. You need these two to be the antithesis of that. You need these two to be the... The ones that people will tune in to watch people bowl over within five rounds. You need your yard and your Dubois to do that. So it is overly harsh for me for people to be that critical of him when he's so early on in his career and when he's so young. And But you've always got to temper that with the fact that where do these expectations come from as fans? Who are we getting these expectations from? Um, just before I go and move on, to the Anthony Yard fight. Uh, how's your elbow? Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. Um, <laughs> Martin smashed up his elbow. Um, actually, got away really lightly. Yeah, yeah. Um, Martin was shuffling out of uh, the the stands and walking down the steps when we were at the at the fight. And uh, what I saw him do was shuffle across, but then slip down two steps. He then fell to his left and some people helped him hold him <laughs> held him up 
And then I kid you not, at one stage he was horizontal as he then tried to walk forwards, totally, totally trolled, but also then without any balance tried to walk down the concrete stairs and flew down about six rows, right? I'm made of metal. <laughs> You've... <laughs> I never seen you. I swear to God, I just saw you tip forward. Then the people in in front of me blocked my view until then. I just saw you horizontal, like three feet lower, and then you just disappear into the abyss. Right? I said, "Oh shit, I'm gonna have to check on my mate." So I shuffled past the guys next to us, started walking the steps. At that point, I see you above the one of the inlets into the stadium, right? And and I'm like, and I went down down the bottom. Your glasses are gone, and I was like, "You're right." And you went, "Yeah." Yeah, I'm all right. I thought, fuck me, that's a miracle, right? So then I turn around and I see the guy you landed on. (laughs) (laughs) Guy looks like someone just thrown a fridge freezer in the back of his head. Look, if Manchester aren't ready for crowd surfing, do not blame me. Hold on, I just imagine standing there watching the fight and just having this smash into the back of me. Were there any fights near where you guys were? No, because no. I mean, Marty knocked somebody out. Because <laughs> like, where, where we were sat no. was like a war zone. Really? Right? really? It was like a war zone. So well, you're sat there and you're watching the fight and then it just kicks off, like literally all along, like, like in the floor seats, it just kicks off. And you're watching, basically these guys have just said, we're having it out with the fucking security. And they've just steamed in there were, clearly weren't enough security so i think every Shit. guard from everywhere had to come down as reinforcements and they held the fort till the end of the fight and i remember this i was talking to Mikel lawal who was the other side from us just for the record the Saudis could have given those guys better tickets considering he bloody fought in the fight do you know what i mean so it's a bit disrespectful to have him way back on the floor seats but it kicks off again like properly goes off and there's the point where this guy's wrestling with two of the security guys. There's, there's a guy with a camera and this guy stops, poses for a picture. <laughs> as God is my judge. Poses. Hey! The flash goes off and they carry on. <laughs> That's going to be a brilliant photo somewhere. That was absolutely brilliant. And But but there seemed to be this weird climate in that corner where they were just like, we're just going to have it out with these guys. I don't care. We're having it out at some point. So these guys weren't leaving. So you know when everyone was leaving to go out, these yeah. guys weren't leaving. They were staying. Go, no, 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 no. We're having it out. Really? That's um, what you think. <laughs> Once the cameras were all away, it went off again. Mate, I have no idea what happened. I was just like, that's we're getting weird. out. We're getting out. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to see that. Nope. Uh, between Wilder and Newbank, do you think their swings can generate enough wind energy to power the UK for a day? <laughs> Asks Mo Hassan. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, I'd treat that more of a rhetorical question, Mo. And now let's move on to the Anthony Yard fight. Anthony Anthony Yard versus, here we go. This is my speciality. Here we go. Tony Avalant. That'll do. That's all right. So so basically, God won again. (laughs) 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 Just just, just to simplify, God won again. Easily. No, no, no. Um... People won't see this as a step-up fight for Anthony Yard because I look at Avalanche's record. Well, he's at- God. 
It's not much of a step up. <laughs> you can't have God's dad. I love the fact that that's where we are now. That's where this has got to now. <laughs> you can't give someone a label like that and then start bemoaning that he can't have a step up fight. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, no, so, so Avalanche was, it was interesting because he was clearly there to, to defend and disrupt is how I describe that style. So it's, I'm going to get off what shots I can, but deep down I know why I'm here, so I'm going to make sure I don't get taken out. And Avalanche, a lot taller than Yard, seemed to have longer arms than Anthony Yard. And I think we started to see those little points where we're like, ooh, I think I think someone like Sullivan Barrera might have a field day here. That was the first time you've watched Anthony Yard and gone, okay, mm, okay. And I'm sure guys like Craig... Josh, Andre Sterling, all those sort of like Anthony Yard's peers in the British like heavyweight scene are all looking at it going, they're things there. They're little, 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 little crumbs we can take and we can build on. Because Avalanche was able to land that right hand a lot more often than he should have. <laughs> the only defense I'll give Anthony Yard was he was always moving away from the punch. So I don't think he ever really got caught flush. But there were some signs that worried me. I think he was over-reliant on that kind of leaping left hook yep. where a jab would have been more appropriate. And then it goes back to what I say about Zelfa Barrett. Sometimes you've got to bed down your fundamentals in the first quarter of a fight and then let the flashy stuff go. Because if you let the flashy stuff go when, when the guy's still relatively alert and with it, what ends up happening, you miss and you don't look very good. But I think over time, what happens, as we've said before, the resistance wears down because there were some horrible body shots going in there. And let's give Anthony Yard credit for his body work because that has to be some of the best body work you're seeing in Britain that's not a McGuigan fighter at the moment. It was just just nasty. That first knockdown where he just put that, you know, that wasn't even knuckle. That was just glove. Like the glove just went in there and the liver just said, no. I love that the commentator went, oh, you, you just don't get up from those. Seven, eight, nine. Box on. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes down again. He's like, oh, that's it. He's, you, you can't get up again. How was he doing? Six, Barry seven, Jones, wasn't it? Eight. Box on. <laughs> <laughs> you should have learned your lesson the first time. quicker, if anything. So, 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 but, but it was good because you saw, you saw at that point, Anthony, I'd realized where the weak point was. And he was quite clever in how he distracted before going down to the body again. So sometimes you go to, for the right hook to the body instead. And then when you're thinking about getting that right hook to the body, the left would come. There was, there was some, he did a lot of good in that fight, but he looked mortal. And I think that's the way to describe it. He looked mortal in that fight. And you thought to yourself, actually, you can see him tussling with some of these guys who are on their way up as well. I, I enjoyed the fight. I thought the fight was good. It showed a lot of good stuff. Um, it's good to see because bear in mind, like he's not, he didn't, he didn't have much of an amateur background. I think it was 12 fights, 11 by stoppage was his record. And, you know, to see where he is after 15 fights, it's reasonable. I know people say, oh, he needs to step up. He needs to step up. Why? Look at who's got the fucking belts in his division. Why does he need to step up? I wouldn't want to. I, I wouldn't want to be that guy who could get picked by any one of those champions right now. Let's, let's be brutally honest, right? No one in Britain right now wants to get that call that says, do you fancy Kovalev? Do you fancy Baturbiev? Do you fancy Bivox? I think the super belt's vacant. 
do you fancy Stevenson? You don't, you don't want that call. Do you know what I mean? You, you want to wait for those guys to go off and do whatever they want to do and then maybe kind of come in and go, can I get Thomas Oosthuizen, please? That's really what you want. So I don't expect Anthony Yard to be chasing belts now, but I do think he needs a couple more fights against guys that aren't going to fall over. And then let's see where we are. I'm, I'm done talking about the British title scene. I, I just... I'm just fucking bullshit from top to bottom. It, it's an absolute joke. When you see who Hosea Burton's fighting now and the British board were mandating that as a fight, it just lets you know that <laughs> this game isn't all it's cracked up to be. And I'm not going to take any shots at Frank Bullioni anymore because Frank's just living his life. That's how I'm going to describe it. Now, Frank's just living his life and... You know, I can't knock a man for doing that. You oh, know, I'll introduce you to Terry from about three months ago, and he will give you a fight on that. <laughs> but I think they were um, watching it for a start. They build him as being six foot. I'm not convinced he's six foot yard. Like I've walked past yard a few times, and he comes up to like my shoulder, and I'm six five apparently (laughs) i'm six foot six foot one he comes up between my shoulder probably around my ear level if that's i'm not convinced he's six foot but that's by the by um the things that concern me watching him because don't get me wrong like as much as uh, (laughs) me and terry talk about frank buglioni anthony yard and that i want to see anthony yard do phenomenally i would love to see him become this light heavyweight monster that goes on and does everything because he's a British boxer. And if he can do that, we'd all back him 100%. So there is nothing in this that is like Frank versus um, Anthony. It's not about that. But there were a few things that bothered me watching it. His feet, his footwork, like when he comes forward, which he did quite often, his feet come together so often that like if he gets tagged on the way in, that balance is going to be questionable, which... There's a there's an overriding point to all this in a minute that I'll get to. But that left hand, we're seeing him develop the style where his left hand is purposefully very low, which is beneficial to the body hooks that he throws. But he gets tagged by that right, the lead right, very often by Avalon. As you were saying, he, he absorbed it to an extent and he covers with his right glove as well. But against a better quality of operator, that's got to be questionable. And he sits on the ropes for a long time. And like again, maybe that's like, this guy isn't really a threat to me so I can sit on the ropes. But... When he's there, you'd like to see him come off, but he, he'd spend maybe 30 seconds. Um, but the main point is, when he's in an attacking position, he's brilliant at planting his feet. Brilliant. And just fucking letting those shots go. And as Terry says, that, that left hook to the body is a, an awful shot. <laughs> as in, like, if you were on the end of that, you don't want to be there. Because it's that delayed reaction. You could see it from Avalon. That when he got hit by it, he stood there for like half a second and then he's like, ah, <laughs> and like takes a knee on the floor. That delay, there's something there. That shot is vicious. He's clearly a powerful man, clearly. But all these things together, when you watch Zelfa Barrett and he got found out by Ronnie Clark and he's been fighting people that to an extent are the same kind of, you know, people that are on the same level coming up through 14, 15 fights you want to see a slow progress now in the opponent of Anthony Yard. You don't need him to be in... Uh, I don't even need him to be in that British title mix. Like, everybody stop mentioning everybody else's name. Just find whoever the matchmaker is. I think it's Jay McClory for Frank Warren. Might be wrong. Um, find somebody, because what we're seeing at the moment, that Locker fight, the one before last night, was probably a better fight than what last night's was. Um, just find somebody who 
can offer something different that stops that can move Anthony around. And maybe it is that Anthony's such a powerful man that it's difficult to move him around. Well, well, you know, go back to the Dubois fight, right? How many times did Dave Jones move Dubois back? Not once. Yeah, he ran him, but he never moved him. Yeah, he'd hold him and he'd try and move him. And at that point, I think he sort of realised that, shit. Like if I ran into that wall and tried to just shuffle it backwards a little bit. Yeah, because there's this thing that Dave Allen says about Dubois. Like, it's one of my my favourite descriptions of the difference between Dubois and Joshua. So Dave Allen will say to you, with Joshua, you look at his size and you expect a certain level of strength, but it's quite hollow. You can move him around. Joshua can be bullied about in the ring. And he said when he sparred Dubois, he couldn't move him. The density of him. Yeah, and he was like, Dubois could just move you wherever he wanted you to go, you went. So I hope he's as good as as, as he could be. Let's let him be. Yeah, I really look, would like... Look, I, I don't want anyone fighting for a world title at 20. And I, Tyson was an exception. Tyson was bred to be world champion. Like, he was sparring elite-level guys when he was, what, 16, 17. So let's understand that heavyweights are bigger now than the world Tyson's era. Well, for me, I'd want him in that mix. Like Huey Fury, I'd want him in that mix around 23, 24. Right. I think that's a good time. Like, why rush it before that? But I think there's... Um... There's this problem they've got. I don't want to see Anthony Yard versus that level of opponent headlining any cards, be it a York Hall, be it the O2, whatever. Come on, Mark. Come on, Theo. That, that, that York Hall card will stand up against anything else you see in York Hall this year. Wait, I'm not saying that isn't the case, but I don't want to see that on BT Sport. If I'm BT Sport, I'm saying I want to see something better than that. True. Um, was it on BT Sport or Box Nation? It was on BT Sport. Oh. I know, because I streamed it off BT Sport. Um <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got an issue with that fight at York Hall being a headliner but to be a Saturday night BT sport card it's not really good enough for me um, right so Ben LOFC asks uh, says I'm all for progressing fighters uh, through correctly but do you feel Yard and Triple D should start increasing the level of opponent in order to, for them to progress they're two different fighters two different stages Daniel Dubois you know <laughs> Just let him have some more of these southern area level fight. I think you run out of heavyweights in the southern area, to be honest. Like now that you've taken out AJ Carter, I don't know what Akinlade is doing these days. Um, but now you've taken out Dave Jones. There aren't really that many more, so you start getting Eastern Europeans flown in for him. I suspect. Um, oh, goody. <laughs> but the Cobra. He'll be back. For anyone that's calling for like Joyce versus Dubois right now, or Gorman versus Dubois, just let Dubois grow. Like. People for, people make this comparison to Joshua. And again, I go back to the fact that I actually blame, to an extent, his promotional team for uh, building him up to be the next Joshua. Joshua was an Olympic gold medalist. He'd had that amateur background. Dubois never even went to the GB team. He could have, but he he decided that it wasn't for him, so he turned over instead. So like, let's just let him learn on the job. Yards further ahead in his career... Um, but again, like I'm happy for Yard to learn his trade because if you think of it, he's had under 25, 30 fights in his life. I'm happy for him to learn his trade. I just, I don't want to see it headline in a Saturday night BT sport card and I don't need the hype that comes with it. Um, but, but, Terry, but, just a quick one. But, but, okay, no comment to that question, but my response is, 
compare that BT Sport card with the next-gen card that Sky are putting together. Because I put them in the same basket. They're both shit. Yeah. But, Let's but, be honest. <laughs> they're both... Well, no, no. Because no, Umar was on yesterday. He wasn't on TV. I didn't get to which, see it. Which is a shame. But I heard he dropped the guy. So that's his first... You know what I mean? He's doing the damage now, which is good. That's great. At least it wasn't a 30... I, I don't like 40, 36 fights. So at least it wasn't that, which is good. Onwards and upwards. I've seen that Neves that he was fighting. Um, what, all he what, does is... World class. All he does... <laughs> All he does is reverse. All he does is so terrible to watch. Um, like, awful to watch. So, well done to Umar. Uh, I didn't see the fight because it wasn't on TV, unfortunately. Which is a shame. Like, like he's he's the fucking boxer you want to give a microphone to. But wait a minute. Also, let's can I just step back a bit from that? You've got Box Nation. You've got a fucking <laughs> a channel dedicated to boxing. Yeah. I don't know. What were they showing on Box Nation saw- when Umar Sadiq was in the ring? Because Bunsen's boxing out. You've already done the production at York Hall. You've already spent all that amount of money. I saw some tweets about a bloke saying, like, why am I getting what am I getting from my Box Nation subscription if they're not even showing it on their channel? There's a few of them. Boy Jones Jr. was on as well last night. What are they showing on Box Nation at that time? I'd love to know. Because why are they not showing Umar Sadi? Because you say a young man that if you let him go those four rounds, yes, it's a learning fight. show us it and then let him talk because he can convince people that boxers aren't idiots. Um, a question, uh, Terry, I have a question for you. Is it one of yours? Yes. Uh, Not one of the, one of these fucking peons. No. <laughs> um, just a question that calls back to something we spoke about in the past. <gasps> Could a lack of Amateur boxing be an advantage for Daniel Dubois as he moves forward in his career. There's no lack of amateur boxing. Daniel Dubois has been an amateur boxer since he was 13. So, so, so the, he's got the same sort of pedigree as he was in the GB setup. He was sparring Joshua. Right. So, so he has. He's the, got pedigree. The same. He's he, he's got pedigree. I think the problem there's was no, there's no lack. Of, there's no lack of amateur nah, boxing. Right, is there okay. hell? All right, fine. Like like, look, it's him. It's his, 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 <laughs> his little sister might be the most talented boxer in our international setup right now. As a technician, she's amazing. He's he's been in tough. Like he was sparring guys like Isaac Chamberlain. He's been in with every. He's been with every. I'll rephrase that. He's been in with everybody who you class as a contemporary of his. And he's dominated. If not the first time, the second time. His issue was no one really wanted to fight him. Because once you hear the Dubois stories, you're a bit like, we're not getting paid to do this. Why are we going to put now? You're all right, mate. How about you just carry on and do whatever it is you want to do? And imagine trying to match a 19-year-old of that size. Yeah. It would be (laughs) a thankless task. No, no, we're closing the gym down for a few months. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you are. Look, I told you the story when I saw him sparring my lad and I was like, oh. Yo, know, he's like, oh. He can't. You'd, like, you'd want to see a birth certificate. Yeah, you're like, he's, he's not 17. How's he, I remember saying, how's he hitting like that at 17? And then I was like, I'm kidnapping him. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and then he walked out with Terry just hung around his neck. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't even notice. <laughs> um, Dan Frost asks... He asks, um, interesting light heavyweight domestic mix. We've currently got in order, in my opinion, of superiority. Buglioni, Burton, Ball, Boazzi and Yard. Who of the lineup could potentially be one, of, one to win a world title? 
Well, actually, above yards, an interesting one. No, uh, I just, I just did that to wind Terry up. <laughs> <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't say it really. He just, he just names them randomly. Just no comment to. <laughs> no, I put Buglioni first. <laughs> but it's a great mixture of names. Um, you've got uh, Liam Conroy versus Miles Shinkwin coming up shortly for the English title up in Preston. Um, Terry's My a guy. big Conroy fan. My guy. <laughs> Liam Conroy. Um, so look, you've got. Don't, don't really... be surprised if he keeps the belt. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know, I, I, I know, I know you're being company man right now, but Conroy can go. Of course he can. I'm not doubting yeah. that at all. The way he knocked out fucking Joe McIntyre. Look at Martin denying it. Fed him that leather. <laughs> <laughs> but look, you've got so many names around there. Why was Shinkwin box ball? He lost. Yeah, funny that. What's your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not answering questions. Yeah, but now, you know, just from the peons. Um, Where did I get that from? Was that Ravishing Rick Rude? I think he used to call people all these fat, overweight peons. That's a great word. Um, <laughs> but no, Shinquin said after that, he said, I think it was, uh, I could fight ball like 10 times. I'd lose 10 times. Like his style was completely wrong for me. Yeah, JJ um, McDonough's like, no, no. JJ McDonough, who's entered the Ireland, Ireland's last man standing At competition. Uh, middle slash super middle. I think they found a weight between it. Oh, okay, but like, say, how did he? <laughs> yeah, Nick Quickly's gone in there. But like, so is Vladimir Baluchki. That, you know, born and bred Irishman. Yeah. Um, no, he's uh, classic Irish. Name. I don't know. They, they yeah, I, I've sent some. Uh, I think Mike Perez is in there as well. <laughs> just ripped, <laughs> just super ripped. <laughs> Keeps getting smaller. <laughs> is he further away? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, yeah, no. There's some really. There's a good mixture of experience, names, people with different levels at the moment within the light heavyweight division. Um, that. I mean, they just need to sort it out amongst themselves, really. But you'd, you'd suspect they're probably not going to for a while. Who wouldn't want to see Boazzi versus Jake Ball? That'd be a great fight to see. Jake Ball doesn't take people out like he did before he got stopped by JJ Madonna. He seems to have changed his style to a more um, reserved, like thoughtful style. Circumspect. Yeah. Um, and whether that's now like a realisation that I'm mortal and I've been fucking iced on national TV... I don't know, but like, there's nothing wrong with that. He's actually using his attributes a lot better. He's boxing more clever. Um, like, you can do that. Remember, we talked about you're either good at boxing or you're not, right? Jake's good at boxing. He's just been in the ring with guys who aren't good at boxing. Mm. You stick him in with Boatsy, who is good at boxing. All that space and all those angles he finds against guys like Shinquin aren't going to be there. And then you're going to have to stand and fight. And that will make it interesting. Because I always say, at the elite level, there's this myth that at the elite level, you can dance around people. Look, even Ali with his dancing feet had to plant plant his feet down and go, no, nah, we'll go toe-to-toe. Yeah, but at some point, I suspect Hearn will start making those fights, like Ball versus Buatzi, Ball versus Buglioni, Buatzi versus Buglioni, because what else do you do with these people? Why Why would you hold the British belt hostage in the way you have done if you're not going to use have it. a succession plan? Yeah, yeah. Use it within the people that you've got. Okay, a couple of quick fire questions. Riku Heikler asks, Naz got a lot of credit for voicing his opinions on the Groves-Eubank fight. Which pundits would you like to see more or less of on TV? Uh, I like Froch. 
I think he speaks well uh, in terms of honesty on Sky. Less uh, most of the Sky team, to be honest. There's nobody on there that, that stands out as being worthwhile. Uh, which trainer, same from Riku, uh, which trainer should Chris Eubank team up with in a parallel universe where English isn't involved with his camp? I think uh, Chris up north that <laughs> Terry was talking of earlier. Mm. 100%. Sponsored uh, by Chris up north. Kev, Kev Morrow um, asks, if you cut open Joe Joyce, would you get blood or wires coming out? <laughs> I think that might be in reference to his slightly robotic style that uh, we're starting to see. But there was a brilliant um, short video put up by Ishmael Salas where they they showed the overhand right that he finished the guy with last Friday, um, which it put it up against what they've been doing in the gym. And it was the same overhand right that he was throwing in the gym with Salas was the one that he caught the guy with that put him down and finished the fight. Um, a lot of people saying, like, oh, it didn't look like a, a fight-finishing punch. Don't forget, this guy's fucking huge. Huge. And, like, all that weight. If he's got the technique, if he's been working on that punch with Ishmael Salas in the gym over and over and over again, as you suspect he has... There is going to be an awful lot behind that punch. So like, people shouldn't underestimate how hard Joyce will be punching. Uh, lots of talk. Uh, Boxing Madman asks, uh, says, lots of talk about how Nathan Gorman, how good he is. Will he be a future star in your opinion? Um, I think he's a hard one to build. I think because um, his style isn't the most exciting, although he looked a lot better last night. As I say, it was the best performance I've seen from Gorman last night. It's going to come down to what they do with this heavyweight mix of British fighters. So where you get eventually together, uh, Joyce, Gorman, Dubois. Um, you can throw in some of the veterans as well. You can bring Chisora into that mix. And when you start seeing how they all come out of that, then you can make a more educated guess. But at the moment, not not necessarily for me. Another take on a question I've already asked you, but... I'll give a different answer now. This, I don't care. It's quite interesting to see your reaction be. Um... Uh, Jordan from Knockout Mag, uh, Knockout London Mag. Good asks, magazine as well, that. Anyone online? Could you see the World Boxing Super Series Super Midweight Final between Groves and Smith happen again at light heavyweight in the future? Possibly. I mean, if the money's right, again, as I say, I don't really want to see Groves go out there. And if you start building up a light heavyweight um, World Boxing Super Series, we ran through some of the names the other week. We probably left some out, but we got... You know, if we could name six of them, there's a lot of them that are, you know, it's a, it's a death's row of, of names. Um, Would Callum Smith get to the final if he stepped up in weight? No, I mean, I'm still not sure he's got to the super middleweight one. So that's, <laughs> that's the most interesting Yeah, but Callum like Smith's a big lad. Callum Smith is a big, big lad and he does the fundamentals well. Um, and he can dig, but there's got to be question marks. If he's not taking out that kickboxer from last night... I'm not having the argument of people, oh, you want to ask something on the back of that. Tom Nuttall asks, Smith versus Kickboxer. Worst pay-per-view in history? At least Pink Tyson was under £2. Yeah, Mick Hennessy only charged a quid. I think people were genuinely surprised that the Sowerlands, uh, I guess, enforced that this is still a pay-per-view going into last night. Um, and I think they announced last night, I might be wrong, but I think they announced that the Cruiserweight final is going to be a pay-per-view over here. Which, again, look, we give the Sowerlands a lot of praise for what they've done. We also need to criticise them. that if you th The only people that are going to have any interest in that Cruiserweight World Boxing Super Series final are 
true boxing fans. True boxing fans... Listen to this podcast and we'll definitely stream it. Exactly. <laughs> By virtue of the fact that many of them get fed up with the pay-per-view model and therefore find ways to get this stuff for free... Don't anticipate huge buys out of that, Caller and Lisa, if you're if you're listening in. Because boxing fans, by virtue of the fact they don't like pay-per-view because they get exposed to it so often for fights that they don't necessarily think they should pay for, won't be paying that. Now, don't get me wrong, it's actually like Gassier versus Usyk. It's a phenomenal fight. And so if you're ever going to pay for something, it should probably be that. But do I really want to pay for something that's going to be happening out in the Middle East somewhere for two cruiser weights I don't have a natural um, affection for Mm, not really Uh, okay Mark Evans asks was Bramer legitimately out or will he make a reappearance in the final if Groves is injured it's an interesting one I like that theory Um, maybe they got word of the fact that George won't make it into the final and so you take Bramer out and then put him back in later on I'll just have a bye to the final that's not how it works alright I've got a cold (laughs) Well, you know, if there's somebody, the only other undefeated person, apart from George, who's injured, possibly, and Callum, who's into the final, the only other undefeated one in that tournament is Jürgen Bremer. Uh, uh, London Box asks, if after Callum's dismal performance in the World Boxing Series, (laughs) do you think Joe would be better suited to Crufts? (laughs) I I need a bit of context on this one. No, Callum Smith, he's saying it's an abysmal performance. I didn't see it. I can't comment. Would Joe Gallagher be better suited to Crufts uh, and training dogs than boxers? E. Okay, and finally we get... Not finally, but uh, we will now move on to the next-gen show. Mate, are these fucking questions finished now? N- no. You've still, you've still got to... I've still got stand- like seven more to ignore. <laughs> We can get, I can get you a placard. No, listen, want. listen. I'm ignoring all questions. And uh, people are going to listen to this podcast and go, why isn't Terry answering questions? There was a question today oh, that came from Robert Edwards. I'm I want to name names because him. it offended me, right? So at Manchester, a lady called Lauren Jones comes down. And the thing about Lauren is she listens, right? And she listens consistently. And when the fight was announced, she was really gutted that she missed out on tickets because it was a sellout. And then she found out we were all going on mass. And she's like, fuck me, I'd love to go. Probably the wrong choice of words considering where I'm going with this. But she was. She was like, I'd really love to go with you guys. Out of nowhere, someone in the valleys couldn't go. She runs around, grabs the tickets, grabs a hotel. And she's like, yes, I'm out with you guys. For me, that's a big tick in the box. That shows we're doing the right thing. She comes down and she's as good as gold. Did you have a bad experience with her, Martin? Nope. Andy? No. She was absolutely brilliant, right? Very enthusiastic, very friendly person. Yeah, came out, had a few drinks, had a laugh, bought drinks for people, made sure everyone was having a good time. She enjoyed herself at the fight. Um, You guys were probably there for the after-fight drinks more than I was, but from what I gather, she had a good time. Goes back to a hotel, like everyone else, fucks off home. So when someone asks a question, did you lot run a train on that drunk Welsh bird? It upsets me because I know what it took for her to get there, number one. Number two... I'd like there to be more women in that crowd. I'd like people to feel they can bring their wives and partners there and we're not going to get this sort of stuff. Like, you see, Hearn tries to flush this shit out of his shows and that's the view I take. I don't want to end up like the Frank Warren of podcasts. If I get sued for saying that, so be it. But I don't want to be the, the copper box of podcasts where women don't feel comfortable around our audience. 
So I am upset about that. That's why I'm answering any questions today because that was a disgraceful question. And everyone that read that, that didn't comment, that didn't find offence with that, I have an issue with right now. Now, as for Lauren, bless her soul, I'm sure that she's probably read that and she's probably upset. I would be too. Now think about this, right? Like, this three men round three microphones. Yeah, think about this. Andy, don't grab your face like that. I want to expose people that your farts stink. <laughs> think about this, right? If you make it hard for women to fucking have one night stands and misbehave, like, you're just fucking the game up for everyone. Do you see what I mean? Like, why make women uncomfortable about sleeping around? Why make them feel devalued for sleeping around if they choose to? Because it's theoretically us they're sleeping with, for God's sake. Like, don't constrict supply. Like, because you're a family man and you're settled down, don't constrict the supply, man. Jesus Christ. Let women be themselves. Don't judge him. Let's just be grateful we've got women coming to our events, man. That, that's all I'm going to say on the matter. But don't ever ask a stupid, childish question like that shit again. Because I swear to God, I just won't even do this podcast. That's not what we're here for. None of us want Terry out of the podcast. Yeah, I don't know. We all but, want him in. But hand on heart, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with that sort of stuff because... It restricts the supply? Or? Well, not even... But, but on a human level, imagine that was your sister. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd hate, I'd hate for her to be spoken about as a piece of meat every Sunday. <laughs> I bought the engagement ring, Andy. So you know, you know, you know. Um, but no, it was it was it was it was it was an unpleasant thing to read, and I I know that it's had. I mean, it's it's not had the right effect on the person who was who was described in there, and it's just it's it's an unpleasant thing overall. Um, Babs asks, with Kelbrook and Dave Allen having over dramatized redemption stories next weekend, has Matrim gone full X Factor? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Do you know what? There was a video produced for Dave Allen um, that was actually really good. Was it Chris Lloyd? Yes. That cunt blocked me. Fuck Chris Lloyd. <laughs> listen, Jesus listen. fucking Christ. Chris, yeah? Is he ever going to stop? You're, you're a child for blocking another human being on Twitter for no reason. No reason. That's, what was the conversation? Of what, what interaction on Twitter is blocking? Never that blocked is, anyone. <laughs> no, yeah. but you get oh, yeah, blocked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm over the pain. No, but you know, just fucking childish. So Chris Lloyd, fuck you. Was, you're what childish. What was the reason? What, what, what was the interaction? Do, do you know? Do you know? Sometimes you don't know. Oh, like, okay. like, like you can go back and forth on Twitter with someone. You're like, that oh, was alright. I'm blocked by Frank Warren. I've got no idea why. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he started you sending pictures. Like you ever, you ever been to you ever been to Tijuana, mate? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, Chris Lloyd makes middling videos. I guess he just I don't know. Fuck, gives a fuck. Right, anyway, I thought it was all right. I thought the video was all right. So it covered monkey. Dave Allen's like roller coaster. So you know we've spoken about it before. It's kind of mental health issues and after the Dillian White fight and after the Luis Ortiz fight and how he maybe frittered away the the purses. And so this is redemption. Um, Kel Brook, yeah, he's fighting next week. No, I don't really care about it. Uh, I don't really care about his story anymore. I think there is no reason really for Kel Brook to be fighting a lower level opponent. I'm confused. You lose a fight to someone who you can generally accept is just loads better than yeah, you. Yeah, And you get depressed. You fuck around in Tenerife, get your fucking leg hacked off and you're all right with that. 
This is why we don't want Terry out of the podcast. No, no, no. But, but, but let's be honest, right? If he had said, after Tenerife, I was fucking depressed. I'd believe we'd that. All, we'd all go, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, fucking hell, man. You could have, I mean, you could have lost your life. Like, all right, you had a few drinks and you went a bit mental, fine. You got upset because Errol Spence Jr., who is a legitimate Hall of Famer in terms of talent and ability, battered you into submission and you got depressed. <clears throat> Why? Golovkin did it to you before. You okay with that? Is it because you walked out to DMX? <laughs> but no, do you know what? So, so... And we take mental health seriously. We, we ha- we, we've had the discussion already. So when I say this, I don't know if I wanted to see those videos being shown before the fight. It feels a bit hackneyed and it feels a bit insincere. Had they it feels them, like a cashing in moment. Yeah, if, they, if they'd shown them ages ago, I would have understood. Or show them after the fight by all means. But it's, the, the timing seems all wrong. Well done, Chris Lloyd. Can't hear you. He's blocked you. Wanker. <laughs> He's so full of spite and vitriol. Don't block tonight. me, man. Be, be a man and go. This is what I don't agree with. You'll block someone like a child. Um. Right. Okay. I'm a bit sort of struck by the whirlwind of the Terry Storm Terry, Hurricane Terry that's just blown through the uh, quote studio end quote. It's ruined uh, our 48 track mixer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because Chris was going to provide that, wasn't he? We'll need a 96 track. Sat, sat in his shared house with fucking Dave, Phil and Nev. Right, so the next gen <laughs> card. Lewis Ritson versus Joe Murray. Mate, it's happening right now. I don't know what's happening. I know it's probably shit. And hopefully the warehouse burns down and we're all happy. <laughs> um, it's meant to be Lewis. <laughs> I can't get over that. It's meant to be Lewis Ritson's like coming out party, which could be ruined if that burns down. Um, Kel turns up. But it's strange. <laughs> like, Lewis Ritson's from the Northeast and they're having this in Manchester. I know Joe Murray's from Manchester. Is he a big ticket seller in Manchester? But I think, with, sure. I think with Ritson, the route is from the Northeast to the Northwest. So Dodd, Cardle, he'll just probably work his way through all of those guys. So I think this is a... Hi guys, meet Lewis Ritson, Northwest. He's going to fight Joe Murray. Then he's going to fight the winner of whoever Dodd fights next. And then he's going to fight Dodd. And then we're going to run out of ideas with him and probably get him to get beaten up by Luke Campbell. Done. But I think that's his four or five fight deal that he signed. A lot of people rate Lewis Ritson really highly. I've only really seen him in that fight where he took the British title. So I don't know it's, enough about it. It's the to... British boxing bo- blog, lads, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, they, they rate high him, him highly. Um... Hopefully they rate Thomas Hassan behind him. One of my favourite people in boxing. He's fighting soon, isn't he? Yeah. Feel for him. Got robbed in the ABAs against Harvey Horn. Fucking great little boxer. Great little Harvey boxer. Horny Horn he came out to. <laughs> the best ring moniker going. Harvey Horny Horn. Yep. That's I what hope he's... he gets caught in a sex scandal. That'd be fucking awesome. <laughs> like, uh, okay, Jordan Gill versus Jason Cunningham. It's Jordan Gill's step-up fight. He's... He could be the next Zelfa Barrett. By the time you listen to this, we might be finding out that Jordan Gill has suffered from being kept back for quite a while. Um, trains with Dave Caldwell, doesn't he? Um, Super Dave. Dave. Again, rated quite highly up But north. Dave is no Chris Smedley for you boxing fans out there. Remember that. <laughs> Sponsored by... Um, but again, you know, up north, they rate Jordan Gill very highly. I haven't really had the opportunity to see him from down here, but... Um, but Cunningham's a reasonable test. Who was it? He, exactly, he yeah. Was it Marcus Morrison? 
No, no, that was Wellborn. Oh. Um, no, I, I, again, I can't, I can't say that I know enough about him to, to comment. But it's going to be if he comes out of this with a loss, it's going to be the second in two days where people will be questioning the value of a padded record. Uh, Martin, question from Simon King. Seeing that Dale Evans has retired, what support network is there for boxers who, like Dale Evans, kill someone or others who damage them with life-changing injuries and what more can boxing do? This is a tragic story, isn't it? This was, uh, Dale was the guy who fought Mike Towell when the incident happened and Mike Towell passed away. So Dale has retired this week. Uh, he had two fights, I think, since the Mike Tower one. Uh, one was a low-key one in Wales, I think. The second was Bradley Skeet for the British title. Um, he never really turned up for that Bradley Skeet fight. Lost 120-108 on all cards, I think. Um, and so he was saying that he's been offered a big a big fight this week um, or over the last few weeks. And so he's had to weigh it up. And he said, look, the hunger has gone. The desire has gone. It's been replaced by trepidation a little bit of like fear and realization Dale Evans is a young man he's never had the opportunity he's never had the financial backing to go full-time at this boxing uh he's always done it on the back of like I think he's a scaffolder so he's going hand in hand with the two um and I know he's always said that look if I had a full training camp if I had the full eight weeks if I was able to to go at this 100%, I could be a better boxer than what I am. But now he's still only a young man. Um, he let himself get out of shape, I think, a bit after the Bradley Skeet fight. And he said the hunger's not there to get back into that shape. The hunger's not there to get back into the ring. I don't know what support he's been offered, if any, by the British Boxing Board. I don't necessarily think there is any. I don't think they employ... They don't... Um, or even sublease like mental health employees to help you deal with that. Because as a boxer, you know the risks. You know the risks when you go in, that they're there to you and are there to your opponent. But you hope to God that that never happens. And so for Dale to have lost everything in his boxing career because of what happened, you've got to hope somebody out there has been able to to somehow support him through all of that. But it's tricky because... We we have a legacy of this. Like we've had Nigel Ben talk frankly about how dark the times were after what happened to Gerald McClellan, and you know how he felt and how he spiraled out of control after that. Because I, I'll go back to something my father once said to me, and my dad comes from a battlefield, a fighting background, not boxing wise, but like sort of with guns. And I remember my dad used to say to me, killing someone changes you. Because I remember, you know, when you're a kid, you listen to a lot of hip hop and you, you think killing's no. easy. Okay. No. But yeah, you think, and my dad would always say, no, 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 no. When you kill someone, you're a completely different person. Like, you'll never be the same person you were the day before after that moment. And I've always thought of that when I think of those tragedies. Um, Chris Eubank, Gerald McClellan. <clears throat> now we're talking about Dale Evans and Mike Tal, Chris Eubank Jr. and Nick Blackwell. Name? Nick Blackwell, sorry. Um, and then the the whole Groves Goodneck thing. All of these tragedies have to take a toll because it's a very powerful thing, powerful scenario you end up in. And we don't do enough. There's a reason why Harold Bomber Graham is struggling mentally. 
I, I, I think boxing is a really tough sport where, especially at the top level, you go from being up here in lights, someone special, and we all assume that fame equals money. And 10 years down the line, you don't have the fame, you don't have any money, and you're there going, what did I do all of that for? And, and, and it's those massive contrasts in life outcomes, I think, generally cause the struggle in boxing. If you ever need to um, know more about that, get the book Dog Rounds by Elliot Wurzel. I don't know if you've read it or not, but it basically, um, he goes and speaks with people from around the world, boxers that have killed people in the ring. And he catches up with them, like, years on, talking through. And with some of them, he goes back to the scene of the... I wouldn't say scene of the crime. It's not a crime, is it, of course? But <laughs> I say that metaphorically. Um, scene of the incident. The scene of the incident. And, like, they talk through how it happened. And it, it just highlights the different ways that these people deal with it. But all of them are struggling with it. I certainly think that's got to be the case um, in boxing, more so than any other scenario. On the back of that, from last night, um, up on the Steffi Bull show in Doncaster, oh, which was yeah, Westgarth. Scott Westgarth, who was fighting Dex Spellman, I De- believe, Dex Spellman, yeah, uh, and beat him, but then was taken off to hospital shortly after it. Um, and I don't know what the situation is with it now, but just everybody listening to this, like, you know, I'm not a religious person, I believe in God and all that, but you know, just have him in your thoughts um, because it doesn't sound like it's particularly great. Um, so look, all of our thoughts are with the, the Westgarth yeah, family on the back definitely. of that. Because it's it's horrible. As I said earlier, you know the risk. Boxers know the risks when they're going into that ring. And as much as you might see the pantomime hatred between boxers before a fight, none of them want anything to happen to their opponent yeah. whilst they're in there. They want to win. They want to leave that person Unconscious. <laughs> but they don't want anything longer than that. Yeah, they don't want anything that's going to stop them from walking out of that ring of their own accord. Yeah. So we all wish Scott Wefgast the best. But from what you heard about it, you know, Curtis Woodhouse versus John Wayne Hibbert was meant to be headlining that event. Never took place because the, the medical team went off. So look, I hope they've taken everything that they can and given them the best opportunity to get through it. So thoughts to all of the Westgarth family out of that. Uh, and just from a casuals perspective, I just say this to any boxer out there. Why the fuck would you get in a ring? <laughs> I never understand it. Why the fuck would you? Why? People said to me in the past, when I was in the army and they were trying to get me to box, they were saying to me, I, I was always a fit, fitness fanatic and all my mates boxed and they were trying to get me to box. And one, somebody said to me once in the bar, I think it was one night, he went, look mate, don't ever get in a ring if you don't want to get punched in the face. And I was like, sound advice. There you go then. <laughs> That's it for but me. Again, doesn't matter how much I want to box, I never want to get punched in the face. So I made that educated decision to not step in For that anyone ring. that hasn't done it, read through the uh, Craig Scott from Fight Talk interview with Tyler Goodjohn, where he goes into how much money he was paid in purses, how much he left, he was left with at the end of that financial year for the fights he'd had, the pain he had of getting down to the weight and the fact that I think he was told by his promoter, I'm not going to say any names on this because I can't remember if they're in the, the piece or not. So I don't want to go and libel myself again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he Standard. talks about how his, his promoters at the time were like, look, if you get to this weight, you'll get better fights. So he really drained himself to get there. And then the money that he was left with at the end. So when you ask that question, why do boxers do it? Tyler Goodjohn now is one of these people who at the moment is like, he would do it for the love of the sport and because he's done it from so young. That's just why you do it. Why do people play Saturday afternoon football when you know you could break your leg and not turn up for work on Monday? I know it's not the same levels of severity, but yeah, 
there were like risks playing involved. Playing football and not going to work. That sounds that sounds positively awesome. Um, okay, moving on to VIP McGinley. Although I'm not. I'm, I mean, given that we've had another event now and lots of people have turned up. I mean, and David McGinley <laughs> was, still the wasn't first. There. was still the first. <laughs> um, why do trainers such as Tunde do pads in that Mayweather style of tip tap versus more traditional pad work? What is the reason or advantage? My guess is that, it, is that it builds great rhythm and coordination, but surely the more traditional stuff is more practical. Can I spin this to make my own question? Because Terry will be able to answer this better. So I'm going to spin it into my own question. Do you think, Terry, it's beneficial for boxers to be on the end of those pads when they're going through the Mayweather-style routines where the boxer isn't even necessarily looking at the pad man? Is that building anything for the boxer? Um, let's, let, So let's roll back. If you go to the 1960s, none of the great boxers of the 60s would have used pads, right? Simple. Wouldn't have done. It would have been a relatively simple session. You do your calisthenics, you're skipping, your calisthenics and all that stuff, your bag work, your sparring, right? And your runs. And that seemed to be enough for boxers who were half decent. I think you look at the development of pad work from like the late 70s, early 80s. I know Emmanuel Stewart was one of the pioneers of using pad work. And in his day, it was just two big fucking cushions on your hands that you work with the fighters with. And so generally, you, de you developed your own flavor of pad work, right? But it was essentially, look, this is the chance I get to see you go all out in the ring without having to spar you. That's what pad work was initially about. Fast forward a couple of you know, generations of trainers and, and you end up with Roger Mayweather. So if you actually find footage of like old Mayweather training stuff... It, it didn't used to be that way. It was pad work and it was combinations you'd use in the ring. And then it was, let's speed it up because, you know, you got to, you just want to ramp up the intensity. Can you do this when we're going at 100 miles an hour? Which is a perfectly valid test for a boxer. And then it sort of evolved into, we can just do this now, almost like just through just quick signals, cues. We can now just run a continuous sequence of this. But you have to compromise what you're doing. So it's actually... So you can learn the patterns. And it looks good. Let's be absolutely clear what this does. It looks good. It looks great on Instagram. When you post it up and go, look at what I'm doing with my personal trainer, it looks absolutely brilliant. But you can't execute that in a fight. You can't execute it in a fight. No one can execute it in a fight. So where's the value in that? Not, well, no, it's not that it's none. For me, it's that same thing. as You know when you watch Barcelona finish their training? And they'll do their real rondos, won't they? And like, let's be honest, it's a fucking rondo. Like, that's not really going to help you win the Champions League. But what it is, it's a bit of fun and it's a bit of skill. That's what a rondo is. And this may where the pad work is, it's a bit of fun and a bit of skill. The real work is done elsewhere. Like, imagine it, 97% of your work is done elsewhere. And the 3% is all the kind of the fun shit you see boxers doing in the ring. Like when you see Adam Booth doing the two pad routines, really, that, that's just for social media. That's just to say, look, this is, this is what we're doing. It's just a laugh. So let's think, who have we seen make this Mayweather pad work actually work for them? Anthony Yard looks good doing it, but Anthony Yard is quite a, 
a bread and butter boxer. If you actually look at like the way he attacks, it's more Roy Jones than Floyd because Floyd was always, especially that, that latter Floyd that everyone copies, right hand first, which opens the body up to shovel the hook in. Anthony Arnold will lead with the hook, which Floyd didn't do except in his pretty boy days, then he wasn't doing the So much work. of what Yard does is the polar opposite of those pads. Yeah. In terms of he's loading up on power shots, not tip-tapping his way through a fight. And that's the point. So you see Ricky Hatton doing it as well with Nathan, I think with Nathan Gorman he was doing it with, which I found quite entertaining considering, you know, that, that, that 24-7. The size of the man. And also just the, 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 the HBO 24-7 that happened where he was like, Floyd's a great boxer, but... He could hit me like that for six months. Hey, what happens when I hit me with one of those? I remember the quote like to this day because I watched it. I go, come on, Ricky. So you end up in that scenario as a trainer. And I speak now as a trainer where I say, I see this happening on Instagram all the time. Do I need to be involved in it? And then I just go back to what I believe is important. You need to be a good combination puncher. You need to be able to go to the body. And you need to be able to go to the head. And you need to be able to punch fucking hard. Right? Do I need the Mayweather padwork to achieve all of that? No, I don't. So I don't incorporate it. I don't. But other people do. Anesu Twala is someone who does. But, you know, it look, you know, it all looks good going backwards. Doesn't look so good going forwards. You're not going to lose out by not doing that. I promise you. If your fundamentals are solid, you're fine. Don't buy into the hype what you see on Instagram. And this goes back to what I said before. All the stuff that we'd love to see in boxing, in terms of video content, is the stuff that the grey hair and tracksuit brigade like to say, nah, you, what goes on in the gym stays in the gym. You can't let all the secrets out. But it's all the stuff as a boxing fan you'd love to see. They always and, talk the same. It's the same gazer, mate. What are you fucking <laughs> on about, you fucking... Look at you, you're you fucking... Mug. Look at you, you're fucking fake undercut, you little mug. How about you stop chewing your nails, mate? Yeah, get on your fucking microphone. You keep recording me talking, mate. You know what I mean? You're just here fucking around in your little check shirt and that. Look at you youngsters. You ain't got nothing. That's why you're too bloody scared to box, weren't it, mate? Yeah? You never came down the East End. I don't have then. to keep you You never recording. came down the East End. You didn't know about the geezers there, mate. You don't know about that, man. Done a single round sparring in your bloody life, mate. You don't know nothing, mate. It's nothing. A one. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. so, so back, back to what I was saying, look. What were you saying? The right. bottom line is, you don't need the Mayweather pads. It's for Instagram. It's for people who are insecure about how good they are training. A good trainer produces winners. If whoever it is is training, you ain't producing winners. Fuck it. If they're producing winners, just do what they ask you to do. It's simple. You always make simple points. Um, Shut it, How long man. you got to do your train, Terry? Fuck knows, mate. You know what I mean? Fucking here now, mate. Drink me apple juice and that. You know what I mean? <laughs> You've got a guest for the night, Andy. Yeah, mate. Got a guest for the night while I just see him with old Ponzi in his shirt and his white t-shirt and that. Look at him, mate. You ain't getting no birds like that. Mate, you should have been around in the 60s, mate. I mean, fanny all over the fucking gaff, mate. But you couldn't dress like that, could you? It literally Ooh. undermines everything he said earlier. He undermines the whole reason for him not answering questions the entire podcast. That wasn't Terry. I mean, that was a great track. You know I mean, mate, yeah. Like, like listen, oh, when well, I, well, listen, mate. When I want never... I remember being down Earlsfield and that, like Stevie Bunce was a little nipper back then, but he was squeaky as fuck. I tell you what, mate, it was like a squeaky toy. Like, <laughs> and I was like, man, I can't understand this little mug. You know what I mean? So 
I was going there. Mike Costello would come up. Hey, you'd, you'd, have, you'd have thought he owned a bloody Bentley the way he used to talk. Like he was all like, "Hi, I'm Michael Costello." I'm like, bloody <laughs> hell, mate! Like, come on. What are we listening to? Steve Bunce. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Bunce last night pissed me off so many times because all he does is tries to justify relatively shitty opponents by saying who was Frank Bruno fighting in his eighth fight in his fourth fight in his 14th fight he'd just pick whatever fight someone's in and go well Frank Bruno wasn't pulling up trees in his fourth fight it's like so I don't give a (laughs) shit Steve like that's 20 30 years ago why would I care it's a different era but I'm not if you are justify if you are Steve Bunt what year it is I reckon you'd say 97 (laughs) I genuinely do (laughs) you know what and 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 this is the problem, I guess, with boxing. Um, big shout out to Riku. I was out with Riku on Wednesday, and I was talking to him about boxing, and I said it's very hard to get any common sense out of boxing because in boxing there's a clear line. You're either an insider or you're an outsider, and it doesn't matter how close you think you are to a boxer. It is literally you're either an insider or an outsider, and there's a certain line that they'll never cross with you. Like, if you're a trainer, if you're around gyms, if you're a matchmaker or whatever, you're kind of, yeah, yeah, you're on the inside, mate. You're all right. You're one of us, mate. Get involved in it. Oh, he's back again. No, so you do, right? And, and everyone else just gets fucked off. And so all this bullshit persists because you don't want to be known as an outsider. You want to get shunned. So guys like Steve Bunce will repeat the same old school stuff. Like, they don't want to be progressive because being progressive is, mate you ain't one of us anymore and you get shunted out to the fringes and Steve wants to remain at the heart of it that's why you hear some of that stuff you know I'm amazed he's still picking up a check uh, mate, the guy's the guy's skilled at finding ways to pick money up like him and Ronald McIntosh <laughs> do you know what you could stick them in the middle of the Sahara Desert and they'd bullshit their way to an income I think you'd get Macintosh just doing commentary on like a gazelle just, versus a lion. What frustrates me is when look at this. We're in the third stanza, and this, this the mid range of the lion. Uh, well, the lion's best at close range. The the, the, the claws don't extend that far. <laughs> Whereas the gazelle's better at long range, where it can survive. <laughs> He's on the back foot. <laughs> <laughs> Have we gone on enough? What time is it? I have no idea. Uh, quarter to nine. Right, I, I need That's to that train, miss. We've got 15 minutes till the next one. These super, David Tarbuck asked, these Superfly cards are going to live long in the memory. Don't memory. care, children. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, 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 no. No, take that back. I take no, that back. No, you're not. Bearing in mind, what's the... <laughs> What is the point of Calify? Is the is the overriding like that's it? What's all the these all these flyweights are out in America on these superfly cards, beating each other, like taking losses, taking wins, world titles being exchanged. Here there's or- a shocking scorecard. People are like Strisakat, Kit Kat, whatever, whatever Nesta Gibbs calls him. Apparently he didn't beat Estrada. I don't know. I, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment. Which he, makes he, me an absolute he, casual. Yeah. I appreciate. He didn't look care. as he didn't look as deadly as he did against Chocolatito. So, mm. but look, they're all out there fighting one another while Calia fights at home. He's just preparing with Charlie Edwards, preparing for a fucking Charlie Edwards fight. Like, oh come on, we don't need to see that. Well, actually, we like it's gonna at some point end up on a Joshua undercard that no one will watch anyway. So. <sighs> Adult babies. Um, John Mahal, well, John Moore, <laughs> casual question. 
What the fuck is going on with the WBC super middleweight belt? What has Smith been parading around? That is week? on uh, Benavidez, um, the proper one. Callum Smith has the WBC diamond belt. Now, the diamond belt, they're only meant to roll, like bring out for certain fights. So, Linares versus Crawler had the WBC diamond belt because it was a unification. I think that's the rules. They're meant to bring it out on a unification fight. For whatever reason... Now, uh, Callum Smith was meant to fight Andre Durrell, um a fair while back before the, the Super Series. Didn't happen, and he ended up being given this diamond belt. No idea why. No idea. Uh, Andy Scott says, there have been a few notable fights recently that have had split opinions on scoring. Canelo, Triple G, Fury versus Parker, Groves Eubank. With I a... don't know where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> Split as in only one man was cleaved <laughs> from the masses. It was only Andy Scott, the knobhead from the Observer, and the fourth judge that had no idea what was going on. Yeah, he just Terry's putting his coat on um, at this point. So let's rise, smile. What changes would you make to how f- the fights are scored by judges? Uh, I, I can't. I'd let Andy Scott score everything. Yeah, let him do it. Uh, no, I don't know right now because Terry's putting his coat on. I've got to give him a lift to the train station. Uh, okay, then last one. Shaz, aka Boxing Nut. Says thoughts on um, top boxer Sadiq, innovative behind the scenes video diary only, blog. Lad I only saw that this afternoon. In the window. Talented boxer doing all the right things. Should be a star, will be a star. Got a lot of time for him, so I'm slightly biased. Happy to admit that. But Umar Sadiq, get behind him. Only saw that this afternoon. Fantastic documentary. Little thing uh, in a couple of days building up to the fight. The thing that I took away from it was how professional his uh, preparation is. So his team get him a hotel the night before the fight. He lives in London, from what I understand. Somewhere London-based. Terry, you can probably say yes or no. East. East. Yet they still get him somewhere to stay the night before. So he's got his team and the SSM, uh, Worldwide Management. They seem to do a phenomenal job with him of making... When you see Hearn used to talk about taking fighters over to America to put them on undercards early on, so they get that preparation for big fights. That seems to be how they're handling Umar, is that they're preparing him for later on down his career when he may be having a requirement to stay overnight somewhere the night before a fight is you build that repetition now with him. And I think they're just doing a really good job. That documentary, if you get 15 minutes to see it, Shaz makes an appearance. It's a really good little watch and I think people will enjoy it. Okay, last one. How long after Wilder defeats Ortiz will Hearn remind us all about AJ's ticket sales? One minute. It's good. <laughs> Uh, right, thank you very much for listening, everyone. I uh, hope you enjoyed this week. Um, we will be bit... for the rush ending, but Terry's now got his coat, hat, and bag on. <laughs> We're out of here. <laughs> Bye. Thank you very much. Get in touch at New Age Boxing UK, at the Seven Wolves, at New Age Podfather, if it so interests you to do so. It's still going. It's mate, I am, mate, I'm doing sit, a podcast on my own. that shit while we're moving as well. Yeah, no way. No worries, mate. Yeah, tonight, see tonight. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> See, going out the door, he's going.